0: Welcome back to Movie Mindset. Um, Listeners, so far on this show, we've discussed only American movies. And even though some of them uh, were directed by evil, vile foreigners, they have all been essentially about our society. Whether it's our insane post-9-11 fantasia about terrorism, surveillance, and revenge that we saw in Tony Scott's films, or visions of our past, present, and possible future that we saw in Robert Altman. What have we learned about America through movies so far on this show? Uh, Basically, I would say it's that we're a country of half-smart, half-insane operators and crooks whose obsession with sex, fame, and murder is the only thing that alleviates our crushing boredom. But now we depart from the heaving bosom of the American democratic experiment, and we consider the question... Are there other nations and cultures in the world that, while outwardly prosperous, are nonetheless riven by bone deep despair and alienation that is careening towards a hard to define but inevitable apocalypse of some kind? The answer is yes. On today's show, we examine the work of a filmmaker that today's guest and I are obsessed with. We're talking about the Japanese filmmaker Kiyoshi Kurosawa and 1997's Cure and 2003's Bright Future. Two strange, disturbing, and mysterious films which both cultivate an ambient sense of dread which works its hypnotic power over you in a way that you really only become aware of after they end. Cure is about serial murder via hypnotism, and Bright Future is about two more strange and disturbed young men and their relationship with a highly venomous jellyfish. Those rather sparse plot summaries barely do justice to these two ethereal and hard-to-pin-down movies. Uh... I'd just like to begin with a a quote from the author Gary Indiana in an essay about Kiyoshi Kurosawa's movies, in particular, Kiora and Bright Future. He writes, Kurosawa addresses in different ways an irresistible compulsion for ordinary people to transform themselves into more violent, ruthless, and determined beings. The result is not invariably that they become evil but that the toxins of the society are revealed through their decisions and their impulses, and we're confronted with the contagion of technology and the infected consciousness of living in an intolerable world. He goes on to write, something in the smoothly functioning world drives them over the edge. Something even demands its annihilation. So mm-hmm. I'd like to begin there uh to talking about Kiyoshi Kurosawa's and these two movies and oh introduce our guest for today the the fellow Kurosawa obsessive it's host the blowback and you know Chapo Chapo poet laureate Chapo producer laureate Brendan James thanks for having me I'm I'm quite excited to be here I guess like uh, what, what I'd like to like begin talking about both these films is just about what an uncanny filmmaker Kurosawa is and just like his complete and total control of tone and mood, his studies of sort of uh, inner psychological and physical spaces, his studies of interiors, both you know within and without. But also, mm-hmm. it's just the thing I'm struck by rewatching both these movies is that his utter lack of emphasis on what he's showing you mm-hmm. like opens up your mind to consider what you're what you're being shown and to sort of seek out for yourself. In the kind of psychological metaphors and visual uh, sort of tableau that he creates to seek out for yourself like where the true sources of horror are yeah,
1: uh, to just pick up on that right away uh, before this uh, this discussion, I watched a q and a with him. I read an interview or two with him, and one of the things that stuck out to me is he was asked about his shooting style and all this other stuff, and he said. I, I shoot everything like everything else. You know, I don't take necessarily take a different emphasis if it's a shot with a violent murder in it as I would uh, do any different with a conversation between two people. And so as you, to to your point, that can create a very unsettling uh, effect when you either aren't expecting that to happen given the way the shot is set up or just the fact that it is treated so starkly and uh, plainly and, and, and baldly. And then... I also totally agree about the way it, it, his composition of shots. And it's not to say he shoots everything with this house style in every movie. In fact, Bright Future and Cure have pretty different feels to them. Uh, Cure is very locked down and kind of slow and doom laid in the way the camera moves. And bright future feels more handheld and more kind of uh, raw. He switches like film stock throughout. He also, it, is, yeah. I think there's yeah. video. V- he switches video and yeah. like
0: yeah, even often within the like in yeah. individual scenes, yeah. it cuts back and forth between using this really grainy video camera yeah. and like a different digital uh, film. And I have things
1: that I, that, I, that occurred to me about that. But every room in every one of his films is haunted. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah, that's <laughs> what you feel in in every in any scene. Is the space is just so crushingly, you know, screaming out with. With uh, demons and, and ghosts and spooky stuff in it, even if it's not as really neither of these movies are a straight up horror film. Even Cure, he said in this Q and A I watched, he said it's to me it's not a horror film. Uh, to me, it is, but t- he didn't feel that way as he was making it. Yet it has all the um, atmosphere of a horror film.
2: Yeah, my favorite set in Cure is the um, the hospital that's yeah. like a terrifying giant like warehouse. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And I think I looked up once with my friend. I was like, is that a real hospital in Japan? And um, we couldn't find the answer. <laughs> well, I probably should ominous. have revisited that, yeah. Well,
0: I mean, like, whether it's the uh, the sort of uh, junk factory and scrapyard that the dad works at in Bright Future, mm. or any of the interrogation rooms or, like, medical facilities, and then, like, and then, of course, like, the, the weird hypnotism the bar house. that travel to the mm. and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. at the end of Pure. <laughs> I mean, like, he really does have a focus on, like, decaying interior spaces. And, yes. Like, and decaying psych-
1: psychologies as well. Yes, and, and there's a lot of, uh, there was more overlap between these two films than I initially thought when you said you wanted to pair them together. Because, when we can talk about the individual movies soon, obviously, but, um, you know, both of them have a guy locked up for murdering, br- brutally murdering people. With, with no apparent motive. With no apparent yeah, motive yeah. at first. He loves that. Um, and, and some of those, uh, some of the colors and tones are, are, are similar, at least in the darker moments of Bright Future.
0: And yeah, like I I think, I think like in pairing these two movies up, I think in a lot of ways, Bright Future makes the subtext of Cure more, more like sexual, more thematically, they're
1: very close.
0: But yeah, uh, beginning with, with, with Cure, which I said, like describing this movie. As a like like a serial killer story about murder done via hypnotism, is really selling it short. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> because like th- this is really a portrait of like an e- like kind of like an epidemiological study of an entire society. Yep. And it is very much haunted by these questions that I I cannot separate from, and uh, nor should anyone uh, separate from. I, I think the history of Japan as like a fascist country during World War Two. Yep. And these questions of like what. What compels otherwise rational, normal people to commit murder or to give themselves over to this like death drive and this sense of like,
1: like self and like total annihilation? There's a scene early on. All that is relevant to our own country. Oh yeah, the I mean needless to I, say, I swear <laughs> to
0: God, like just watching Cure this week after the spate of like random yeah. murders that have happened in this country for like people ringing doorbells
1: or you know having a mental breakdown on the subway. Like Kurosawa said, he got the idea because every time you read. This is certainly something we're practiced at here in America. Every time you read about how someone just snapped and they seemed like such a nice person, and they never, their neighbors never would have thought they would have done this. He said, "Well, what if that's because it was not really them? You know, like the, the processing that that canned response into an actual intriguing mystery of there's something else going on because it it was maybe it was sort of them, but something was was working through them in order for them to express." a deeper, darker side of themselves. And there's actually a great scene of foreshadowing that I didn't appreciate the first, I don't know, seven times I've seen it. Uh, I've seen Cure in the laundromat in the beginning. The main character, played by Koji Akusho, one of my favorite actors. uh, who You might remember him from
0: uh, 13 Assassins,
1: uh, Shall We Dance, Shall we Dance, was, was remade his with Richard Gere and Jennifer
0: Lopez in America. Maybe at the
1: end we can shout out other Kurosawa, oh, but also some also Koji akusha movies, many of which overlap because they work together a lot. But he plays the detective, uh, not to jump into a plot summary uh, outright, but he plays the detective in the film. He's the main character. Is this kind of run-down, um, world-weary detective who, who has a wife that is... Um, you know, mentally ill. Not that he's well. In some not well. Vague, yeah. The obliquely defined way. And it's clearly just crushing him every moment of his life that he has to take care of her. And he's, he's compassionate enough to her, but he, you get the sense as the film goes on especially that he's getting the life drained out of him every day notwithstanding his job but he's at the laundromat earlier in the movie and there's a guy in a business like like a you know typical business guy in a both code. of them are d-
0: they're dressed identical they're yeah. dressed yeah. identically <laughs> yeah. and
1: the business guy is waiting for his, his laundry to come back and he's just cursing under his breath and like you know I think he may be talking about the employee but he maybe he's talking about something happened earlier that day and he seems like a raging psychopath about to do something insane because yeah. he's talking to himself and is just kind looking up and down and then the laundry guy gets back and he goes okay thank you I'll be off now and 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 that's really really that's the movie's theme is what what is going on underneath people and when might it crack when might you have the opportunity and what might it feel like for you to relieve yourself of that inner tension mm-hmm. yeah
0: the movie is really about like uh like I said hypnotism is just merely or mesmerism as, as the movie develops is, is really just like a vehicle through which to explore this, like, huge and simmering cauldron of rage yes. that exists under the, like, outwardly uh, polite, compliant, and, like, very conformist, like, official Japanese society. And there's a scene where uh, the um, the detective character, as you yep. said, played by... Um, koji koji Yakusho, who's talking to like one of the other main characters in the movie who's his His, friend psychologist he's like a police psychologist basically like um he's talking to him and like when he first gets the idea of like could these murders have been done uh, could these people have been compelled through hypnotic suggestion to commit murder and his friend the psychologist says like it's interesting but the thing is like you can't hypnotize someone to do something that's against their profound moral sense like if someone thinks murder is evil you can't hypnotically suggests them into committing an act that is like profoundly uh, contrary to their innermost moral beliefs. Which raises the question, if you take that literally, like do people's profound inner moral beliefs
1: think murder is wrong right. in this movie? Yeah. The, the, the one reading is that, well, that guy's mistaken, and that's the power of the hypnotist. But I think the darker and also probably intended reading, given the rest of the film, is, no, he's right. And these people did have it in them to do this. And he just let them, he gave them that moment gave them of freedom. An, like sort mm-hmm. of an
0: excuse to act out. Like and and you know, like this is reflected in and I want to talk about the opening of the movie here. This is reflected in the relationship between the main character, the detective, and his wife. Yes. And rewatching Cure, a thing that I was really struck by is in both of these movies, like in Bright Future, women just don't exist, period. Yep. Like women are basically yeah. not in the plot of the movie at all. Yeah. Like, there, there's the wife of the boss character. Yeah, you see, that's one scene. And here, there's and a girlfriend. Like one scene. Yeah. And then, yeah, like, the the, sister, the, right? yeah, there's a sister. Yeah, there's a sister, there's a sister. Like, women very much exist at the periphery. Yeah. But, like, but in Cure, like, there's the wife, there's the doctor. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, like, the, these movies, like, are completely, exist in totally in the, like, moral and physical universe of men. Mm-hmm. But however, like I, I really think that like men and women and the like, the sort of unbridgeable divide between them, and like the violence inherent in that is present in both of these movies. And mm-hmm. I just want to bring up a, I want to bring up a quote here from uh, the filmmaker Chris Marker. Have either of you seen his movie *Sans Soleil*? Oh yeah, of course. Yes, it's sort of a very experimental film. It's like an experimental travelogue and diary. Much of it uh, concerns uh, his living in Japan, and uh, in the narration at one point he says. And even without original sin, this earthly paradise may be a paradise lost. In the glossy splendor of the gentle animals of Josenkai, I read the fundamental rift of Japanese society, the rift that separates men from women. In life, it seems to show itself in two ways only: violent slaughter or a discreet melancholy. And I think that really gets to the heart of what's going on in both of these movies. Mm-hmm. And I'll bring up the fact that in the first scene in Cure we are introduced to the detective's wife, who we don't know is his wife yet, who's being treated by uh, a psychologist of some kind. Like, she's in treatment for something. And the first word spoken in the movie is she's reading from the fairy tale Bluebeard, mm-hmm. which is a story about a guy who keeps murdering his wives. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: yes, yeah, the first the first scene in the film, uh, essentially starting with a, a supporting character and a pretty... Uh, infrequent supporting character so it's an interesting choice that it it doesn't actually begin with either um uh mayima or takabe the police detective maybe that's to emphasize i mean you uh, i I know you guys spoil stuff but uh uh without loading it too much into into what it could mean for the ending that the the center of this is really about this guy's relationship with his wife and her illness and we're starting with that and not with him because the next shot you get is after there's been the murder the first murder it's just him in his car just looking absolutely run down and just (laughs) depressed and like you know the weight of the world is on this guy's shoulders not even just because he's a cop because he's on his way to a job because of what he's coming from at home and the cure you know in this film might have something to do with that with his state of mind, uh, I just wanted to back up for a second and say that Kiyoshi Kurosawa did a lot of different types of movies besides. He's now known for horror because, in addition to Cure, he did Pulse, which is maybe his most well-known movie. It was a horrible remake in America that was made of it that I think got it more attention. Yeah,
0: but like Pulse and Pulse and the Ring were really like the yeah, launch J horror yeah, into like exactly. a global. And, global and this was pre-J horror yeah. Cure,
1: um, but he uh, just as a uh, little background for him, he began his career making um pink films as they're called in japan which are basically softcore porn you know with as uh burt reynolds and boogie nights would say but but with a story (laughs) uh you know you can you 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 can be just uh, gotta sit there and (laughs) enjoy juice just just watch and so he did that and uh i'm going to tell you what the uh first that the title of his first movie was because it's too good not to uh with that uh, genre that he started with, the pink films in mind, Kandagawa Pervert Wars. <laughs> uh, that's Begun at least the translation. The pervert Wars have <laughs> <laughs> so and and he um, he did several uh, several of those types of films, some serial, more serial killer movies. One of them is about a, a sumo wrestler who stalks a woman uh, and stalks women trying to kill them. Uh, and then he actually, Will and I might. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but he did the film Sweet Home, which is a kind of haunted house movie. It's not terribly remarkable like for, for him. Resident Evil? Which was made into a game, which is the <laughs> Resident Evil, the inspiration for Resident Evil. Ooh. So Kyoshi Kurosawa is responsible indirectly, not only directly responsible for some of our favorite films, but for some of our, our favorite, favorite... Our favorite video game. Our favorite video game. Yeah. Uh, and which Will and I have, have played together. So I felt we had to bring that up. Um, he starts to make uh, Yakuza films... In the in, in the late '80s and '90s, and then you get Cure in the late uh, '90s. Um, since then, he's done he's done a lot of horror, but he's also, I think, he sort of transitioned into doing what most people would consider like art house movies. You know, very contemplative. That's more maybe on the Bright Future side mm-hmm. of things. Yeah. And Bright Future was two years he didn't make any movies, and he emerged from that doing Bright Future, which some I think some people consider that to be a another chapter, a new chapter he started. Uh, and now he's going to apparently remake another, one of his great movies called Serpent's Path. He's going to remake it uh, in France and have like French, uh, French version of it. That's his next project. So uh, anyway, that's just a bit of a taste of like, this guy can do a lot of different stuff and, but he really hits his stride with Cure. And the, themes that he was maybe playing with in the more genre, you know, um in, in, in the porno movies and in the Yakuza films start to really bubble up in this movie in a menacing way.
0: So like 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 as the movie begins, we see like little glimpses of the detective and his home life, which is marked by the repeated motif of him coming home and having an empty dryer running. Yep. And like like his wife's problems are like never really defined. Mm and like it like it's on the once again on the surface it looks like they have like a placid normal domestic life but there are these like you know unseen tensions there that are just you know like that are suffocating but you can't help but notice
2: and i i love that um it everything pretty much looks normal but like the whole scene there's this like pulsing noise the sound desire. and you don't know what it is at first yep. and that's like a recurring motif in cure is like that Pulsing bass tone. It happens again later, where um the Mamiya is that yeah. name? Yeah, Mamiya is like hitting the radiator in his cell with like a a stool, and yep. it's just like rocking this whole building. And there's like really no music except for the goofy piano, yeah, like track at the very beginning. There's very, G- like there's Gary very Ashia, Just
1: shout out to the composer Gary Ashia. Uh, it's it's. I agree. Like the piano music is odd. But it is creepy and it kind of works. Yeah, it's, it's like an
2: iPhone, a 2010 yeah. iPhone commercial music. Yes.
1: And there is very, very, very understated at the
0: very end of the movie. We're going to work up to like, Kurt has one of the most stunning final images of a movie yep. ever. Like one of the most unsettling and like mind-blowing last scenes of a movie ever. Right before we get to that final shot, there is a very like very soft, like non-diegetic music, that sounds very much like a Howard Shore, David Cronenberg mm-hmm. score mm-hmm. at the yep. end, very end of the movie. But yep. like, yeah, sparing use of music, but like, uh, but you know, heavy use of like droning, ominous ambient sound of like yeah. this urban environment. Like, there's a scene where he comes out of one of the the crime scenes, the detective, and there's like a, a railroad crossing, like the, the you know yes. the lights and sounds of like, yeah, because you know light and sound are very much tools of murder in this movie. Yeah. And like the, the repeated layering on of light and sound and for you, the viewer, like I said, mimics the hypnotic method of the killer in this movie where it's sort of like the architecture and just sort of like ambient uh, technology and noise of an urban space like Tokyo like may just be kind of like subconsciously entreating us all to commit murder.
1: Well, the first time, well, every time, but especially the first time the the method of the of Mamia the, the hypnotist, this kind of shell of a guy who seems to only really exist for people to find him. You know, take him in so that he can then enter their mind and release their murderous rage, or for him to find people. It's like
2: very. Yeah, I mean, his yeah.
1: identity seems. He, I, I, I guess you could interpret it that he's
2: putting that on, mm-hmm. or that he really is just empty. Yeah, he says, like I, there's nothing left in me at all left, so now I can see everything in you. Yes, he says to the lady. And
1: how done. he does that is he flicks a, 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 a zippa, lighter, like a, a lighter. Zipper. Yeah, and the first time he whips out the you hear the clack and then the lighter goes on there's a deep deep bass drone that kicks in and everything is so natural most of the time with his quiet but haunting sets that then it catches you off guard that this little lighter causes you to hear this like otherworldly demonic (laughs) humming yeah, cigarettes kill in this movie. They, they really yeah, did. Lung cancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. and 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 the, the end of the cigarette too is it, these little butt beads like of light are always and, yeah, are always something of it of it burning, like, like the light of an angel. Is that what they're called, the anglefish like or whatever anglerfish? anglerfish? Oh yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like at the top of and dangling in front, there's that little yeah, yellow yeah, light, yeah. and then he's gonna swallow you whole. Uh, so yeah,
2: there's wonderful
1: cues and like visual themes that go on with with the lighter and the cigarettes.
2: And I I've also seen this movie like. 15 times because I it's a movie that I sh- can show people that don't even that are like oh I don't watch foreign films I don't like you know like I don't uh, like globalism
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> um people who like would not consider themselves like cinephiles or movie freaks at because like and always at that scene they're like oh I'm on board a hundred percent for yeah. this you mean like, the first whoa. the first
1: uh, hypnotism yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 oh I, I want to get
0: I want to get to that I want to talk about that scene because you want to talk about like His absolute mastery of tone and mood. Like, leading up to that, you know, like I said, we get glimpses of the domestic life of the lead detective, Mm -hmm. his working and social relationship with the the police psychologist. And basically, like, they've been working on this case. Like, the first murder that we see in the movie is just like the third or fourth series of murders that happened before the movie starts. A series of murders that he's investigating, of which, like, seemingly, like, totally unconnected people. Um, commit murder like someone like close to them like their husband or wife or a partner
1: or something like that with the same calling card
0: yeah like mm-hmm. the, the totally unconnected people who like out of nowhere uh, murder someone but murder them with the exact same mo even though they're totally unconnected to one another and then like when they're interrogated by the police they don't deny the crime but they, like, kind of barely remember it. Like, they admit to it, but they can't articulate a reason for why they did it. As one person says, as the school teacher says after killing his wife, it just seemed like the natural thing to do. It seemed like yeah. a good idea at the time. <laughs> yeah. And I want to talk about, like, the contrast of, like, of what the scene, where, like, the, the truly, like, one of the most disturbing, one of the most frightening scenes that is just immediately frightening without any context or setup to, like, alert you to why it's frightening. This is what I mean about his, like, his mastery of tone and mood, yeah. the scene where we first meet the young mesmerists, the kind of the anti-hero of this movie, in yeah. some, some sense, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mamiya. Because up until this point, and in almost every other scene in this movie, as we talked about, like, yeah. sorry, we, we should get this right, myima 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 yeah. The young mesmerist Mayima. Because up until this scene, and it's really the only scene in the movie that isn't suffocatingly claustrophobic and, and focused on interiors... It's this shot of like this a beach it's just this wide open panorama of this kind of like dingy looking beach, gray sky. the waves are crashing. but then like the clouds in the sky sort of like ink the canvas as they move over it, mm-hmm. and we just see like a figure standing alone on the beach, looking up at the sky sort of aimlessly as he sort of like shambles up to this other man who's sitting alone on the beach. And it's like it's and then it follows them. There's a lot of like uh, sort of horizontal uh, tracking shots yeah. of the camera panning across parallel to these figures in the middle distance who are sort of abstracted. Yep. Like we can't see any of these figures, but like long takes. We're introduced mm-hmm. to Maima, who's this like really like unsettlingly catatonic young man. Yep who begins like... Uh, kind of like, hot, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, got a, he's got a good look, <laughs> yeah. too. He's got that nice big sweater on. got that big sweater, yeah. the trench coat. <laughs> yeah. And he approaches this guy sitting on the beach and begins to ask him questions like, where is this? Yeah. And he goes, this is so-and-so beach. And he's like, where's that? I'm just asking these kind of circular questions yes. before collapsing in front of this man and saying, help me. Yeah. And then he takes him back to his house and like his wife is there. He, and then like, the, the mesmerist he it, it, the way he confounds people like and this is what's like immediately like i don't even know why when i first saw this movie but it was immediately so disturbing his flat affect and the way that he like essentially compels people to murder by asking them what i suppose in japanese society is the most existentially like unquiet disquieting question you can be asked which is who are you yeah tell me about yourself yep and he has a way of like like Asking the questions in a totally circular way where he never answers any question that anyone asks him. Yep. He only just asks the same question over and over again. Like, it's just going like, if you ask me like, whoa, what am I doing right now? And you're like, I, I'm on... And I say, I'm, you're on a podcast. And then you're like, what's a podcast? Yeah. And I'm like, it's... Four it's what, white it's, men. It's what you're yeah. doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's what you're doing right now. And then you go, what am I doing right now? Right. You right. You just go back to like the same essential <laughs> yes. question. And he just... He frustrates people by, because he claims to not know who he is. Yes. Like, he's Mm -hmm. suffering from an amnesia of some kind. He doesn't know who he is or where he is or where he's going. But he just, like, enters these people's lives and begins asking them these very simple questions while not answering theirs. And then he breaks out the lighter. He knocks over, like, a a bowl of lemons at one point. he, He,
1: like, wanders into the kitchen in the dark. I think he turns the lights off, and he just kind of sits down and is... Playing with oranges and just stuff that would make anyone go, "Are you okay?
2: What's going on? What do you need?" He's looking at oranges like he's never seen an orange.
1: Yeah, and so he's truly alien. And just on the beach thing, there's something about how it's almost like he just came out of the water. Yeah, like almost like an Aphrodite. I don't know if that's the right metaphor, you know, thematically, but it's like he's fresh and and born of, of of the sea foam, and he's a total blank slate, and he's just wandering there. And
2: I want to point something out too that um you said well you said um he's wearing a trench coat but he's not it's like a hospital like weird cardigan thing that looks exactly like the trench coat that the detective is wearing in the yeah. scene uh. right before that and it's like a weird mirroring of their two characters and like this is the first time i noticed that where i'm like oh that kind of looks like the trench coat that the guy was wearing like a second ago it's 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 one of the
1: more original ways of Presenting the old trope of cop and criminal are two sides of the same thing, blah, blah, blah. Because this guy, his, his mission seemingly is to get the cop to admit that he really does want to do all this. Because it seems like the that Maima, part of why he's so obsessed with uh, Takabe, the cop, played by Koji Akusho, is that he, he can't hypnotize him. He tries throughout the film, or does he? Then, well, I <laughs> I, I have a read at, at, at okay, the end. We'll, we'll get but, there. But, but 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 I mean, he certainly does it much more easily with everyone else. Yeah. But um, he yeah he he kind of is trying to reflect him, and the trench coat is the first hint at that of you know he's 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 trying to find himself in the other. Yeah, um,
0: and as long as you are talking about. Um, Eerie Doppelgangers, and Doppelgangers is another movie directed by yeah, Yoshi Kurosawa. With, with, with Koji Akusho. Uh, just like in, in doing a little research for this, I, I found this rather astonishing story of art imitating life or vice versa mm-hmm. as it relates to uh, Masito aguiwara who's the actor who plays Mamiya. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says here, in 1993, one of the suspects in an assault case at uh, a, a, a train station in Tokyo was accused of resembling Hagiwara. Hagiwara claimed to have an alibi saying that he was meeting someone at the time of the crime but refused to reveal the name of the person who could prove it because it would be a nuisance to that person. The case damaged Hagiwara's public and private huh. life and for a while his appearance in dramas and other events were d- drastically reduced. Later, however, the case was dismissed on the grounds that the accuser's testimony contained many inconsistencies and it was just an accusation that Hagiwara resembled the
1: like, killer slash mm. person who committed the crime. I did not know about that.
0: But yeah, like he like his performance is profoundly unsettling. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh
1: he he does appear to have just shed all personality. Which is a tough which is really a tough sell as an actor to 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 make that work and not be just boring. But he's incredibly electrifying. Like he's he's mm-hmm. he's there's nothing about him that you can really say the movie tells you except that he is this demonic, you know, uh NPC. <laughs> yeah just roaming around, you know? And just
0: like, uh, one more thing about like, uh, the, the Mamiya's, um, like, Mayima, Mayima, Mayima's, uh, sort of method of committing murder. I just want to read one more thing from the, uh, the Gary Indiana essay on this. Uh, he says, uh, anti antihero is a strangely charismatic yet nearly catatonic youth who purports to have amnesia. He has, we eventually learned, studied Anton Mesmer's writings and techniques for a year in secret and is able to induce trance in his victims with the flame of a cigarette lighter, a lit cigarette or tap water that behaves mysteriously in his presence. Under his spell, his subjects act out violent unconscious desires. Who are you, the hypnotist asks those who try to help him, a high school teacher, a policeman, a doctor, and finally the detective who has hunted him. Even coming from the mouth of a psychopath, the question makes the viewer focus on the social roles of these normally harmless people, on their function as pieces of a rational, seemingly rational social order. And I never considered the fact that like the victims outside the, the, the first one, the victims that we see in the movie are a school teacher, mm-hmm. a doctor, and a cop. Yeah, there were these like professional jobs that are like really charged with the maintenance and uh, institutions of yeah. society. Yeah, the maintenance and like reproduction of a social yes. order.
1: Yes, yeah, that's true. What? Who? Do we know who the first
0: m- murderer? He's a guy who just he kills a prostitute, and like, so we don't know his. We don't really story. know his. Story. Maybe he's the fucking a... mayor.
1: Yeah, okay. <laughs> who knows? Uh, yeah. The other thing is um, the the way. I don't know if you, if you were going to get to this, but the way that violence in this and bright future. Oh man, the way that violence is conveyed. There's a couple different. Uh, approaches he takes in the very beginning of the film it 's a wide shot or a medium shot of of the first uh, hypnotic murderer just matter of factly bashing the prostitute over the head with a pipe and it's there 's no warning there 's no close up there 's no dr- drama infused into it artificially it 's
2: like as natural as put, he 's putting his pants on yeah
1: exactly and so that 's obviously incredibly jarring and and you know uh, sets the tone for the film later. Another hypnotized murderer. Has already done the deed because sometimes we see it after the fact, sometimes we see it during, and it's the nurse. And there's just the, the way he does this in Bright Future, too. Really gruesome violence gets like one frame, yeah, it's like yeah. one second. We see, and we she's see her peeling, peeling off the his face, face off this yeah. guy, and it looks really good because you know, I was like, pause, I'm like, wow, and you know, just to look at it, and he could have held on it longer, it wasn't like a bad effect, but to see it just with one jolt and go, whoa, I definitely don't want to see any more of that. You know? And then the film obliges you, but it kind of sticks. It's like you know, it, it, it overlays on the next several seconds. Uh, he does that like not a lot of people can. And in Bright Future, not to jump ahead, but when there's a murder that takes place in that, a character walks in, you see a lot of him looking for the bodies, and then when he sees them, it's really quick, and you see this bludgeoned, these bludgeoned corpses, but that's it. And then the music all drops out. Which is almost more scary than a music stinger coming in. Yeah. He just has a very, very, very original way of the viol- making you feel unsettled with violence. The
0: violence in all these movies is presented as so banal and yeah. matter of fact, despite how extreme it is. Like, uh, probably the best example the cop. of that is the cops. Yeah. Like, uh, the, the mesmerist, the Mayima. You know, he's taken into a police box and one of the funniest questions he asks him is he asked the cop at one point, Is this your place? Yeah. says, <laughs> no, this is a police box. <laughs> and you know, he does his lighter trick on the older cop. Yeah, and, like, you know, and like one of the next scenes, we just see them coming out of their police box in the morning. It's just like very statically held shot. It's just to sit like, you know, like the camera doesn't move at all. You just see them kind of in the middle of the distance, coming out of the police box, going about their daily police business. Mm-hmm. They talk to each other. Everything's normal. And then just out of nowhere, the older cop takes out his revolver, his service weapon, and just shoots the guy in the head. Yep. And then just goes back in about his business as like blood pools in yeah. the foreground.
1: And the way that that could come off could be comical. Because, you know, typically a comedy, the wide shot, you know, when a f- slapstick moment happens, it's like, you know, that's that that, that could have backfired or un- under someone less talented, it could backfire. But instead, it's, more disturbing because of as you say the banality of it and the lack of a dramatic you know pulling in or doing a close up or having a quick cut show the violence it's so clinical and that's what the, these people are. each one of them is doing it clinically they're just doing it as you said like as naturally as the guy putting on his pants or the cop you know getting on his bike and just riding away like okay that's done for today you know murdered my colleague and and that's what's so haunting and, and it's, there's, I think there's something in the setting of Japan as well that's, you know, everyone has, there's there's a kind of more than America, there's a baseline uh, sort of social presentation of respect uh, and kind of, you know, subdued respect for everyone if you see them, that even the way these murders are happening is kind of subdued. And it's just as brutal, but uh, it's not
0: flashy. And I think that's like an interesting thing about the contrast between like extreme violence in like Western and Asian films is because like the violence in like, whether it's Korean or Japanese horror is, like, you it can get even, like, so much more gruesome than oh, yeah. even, like, the... And, like, sadistic than, like, even the most horrific American horror movie. But, like, I think it's just a fundamental difference in, like, the artistic styles in these two cultures is that, like, uh, like in Kurosawa or, like, other, like, like, Asian filmmakers, like, when they present you violence, they're ne- like it's, it's always presented, like, in a way that, like, it, you're never sure how to feel. It's, it's not, like, be- beating you over the head with how you're supposed to feel about it. It's, it, all, it's all very ambiguous.
1: Of really, you know... Uh, effective and popular example would be an audition. Yeah, you know, that's with Mike when he when she's needling him, it's it's still somewhat reserved. It's not doing a bunch of it's not going into Tony Vision, for example. Yeah.
2: You know it's not it, natural born killers. Exactly. Like,
1: and and there's there's no right or wrong. It's it's yeah, just one a isn't factor. better than the
0: other. It's yeah. just factual. It's a
1: different approach and it, it is incredibly effective, at least when it's done by a great filmmaker like Mike or like um or like Kurosawa or um uh, Hideo Nakata, who did the ring, you know, like those those moments of violence and some of that other J horror stuff. It's almost the aftermath of the violence that, that's really graphic, like when someone's all fucked up from the ring and their body's all contorted. Mm-hmm. That's that's a type of violence that's very different from what, until it started to get ripped off left, right, and center in America, uh, that you wouldn't really see in a Western, you know, hyper violent context.
2: Yeah, and like the the thing about like just showing it for flashes, a fun a funny example of that like getting kind of ripped off is in um, From Dusk Till Dawn Mm -hmm. when Quentin Tarantino's character murders those people. And it does just a quick flash of them murdered, but then it does another, and it does it like... (laughs) 20 times effectively changing the entire approach yeah. of the subtlety which I love I love that movie but oh, yeah, yeah it's, it's a great film not subtle yeah <laughs> R- taking Richie, a subtle Richie, technique Richie would you just... eat
0: my pussy for me
1: <laughs> pussy,
0: sorry, sorry. pussy pussy,
2: pussy. R.I.P. Michael, Michael Park in that in that
1: movie So I
0: remember mean, my friend saw the movie when it first came out in the theaters and we're, we're doing like all the pussy lines to each other like it was like our, our hidden <laughs> language was just going we got red pussy blue <laughs> pussy white pussy smelly pussy I gotta rewatch that because yeah. it really is two movies
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it's a completely different film for the first. It was like Tarantino minutes directed yeah. the
0: first half, and yeah. Robert Rodriguez exactly. exactly the second half. Exactly, yeah, but yeah, like a um,
1: very, very different
0: horror the, movie. The,
1: the Salma Hayek's feet is the handoff. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's the that's the uh, tag team moment <laughs> where he he tag foot moment. He, he tags him in. Yeah, uh, but yeah. Um, sorry, well, I don't want to step on. the Next thing you want to say? <laughs> oh, step on the next thing you were going to say. Feet step on. Wait, what I said? I don't want to step oh. step on your toes. But then I was realizing mm? we were talking about feet. Sorry. <laughs> um, so I, the other thing I, I struck me that I, when I was watching
2: is the, uh, the similarity to Exorcist Three, yeah, this movie in the hospital when he's like banging the thing, I was like, this is so, this reminds me so much of the famed hospital scene in The Exorcist. III. I mean, hospitals,
1: a series of murders committed by different people, yes. having the source in a de- basically demonic entity. There's even the partner in the be- in the cure says keep saying the devil made them do it, and then the. Con- the confrontation in the cell is much like Brad Dourif in Exorcist 3. And also, some of the ways that uh, Kurosawa does the, those establishing shots of the water dripping. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's almost like an identical bit in Exorcist 3 where that happens. Where he, jumps around the room and you see something dripping and then you see a clock ticking and stuff, something like that. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're spiritual cousins. They would make a, a good double feature These uh, both of those movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we talk about the scene with the water, though, when he mm-hmm. hypnotizes the
0: doctor? Yeah. Uh, it's like, it's a, one of the more frightening scenes in the movie. But like, you know, he, he gives his, his mesmerous spiel to her and he doesn't have his lighter this time, but he uses water to do it, and like the sound of like he fills a glass of water, and then like uh, sort of like begins his monologue by saying, "I'm actually getting oh. thirsty for water." As uh, you're saying uh, this, yeah, <laughs> uh, all the <laughs> things <laughs> that you uh, that used to be inside me now they're outside, so I can see all of the things inside of you, Doctor. But my inside is empty. And then like as soon as he says that, he just knocks the water glass over, and you hear it clink, and then the water spills on the ground, pools, and just sort of spreads itself out across the floor, and it's just like. How frightening he makes just water. Yeah. Dri- like like, yeah. like is it pooling on the ground and sort of uh
1: forming this sort of river as it moves towards the doctor. He just he's got some touch where it's it takes you someplace. The the I don't know if it's the the pacing of any given scene or the sound design. It's obviously everything put together as usual, but he, he can do that in a way that, yeah, is risky because someone else making this or attempting to make this, it would be boring. It would be, oh, they're trying to they're trying to be really minimalist with the horror, but it it is a perfect example of, of execution there.
2: Yeah, and like the the way it's shot too is it really goes toward what you were saying about how he doesn't he says he doesn't shoot things differently at all yeah. because it's very like out of, there's something very matter of fact about the way it's shot and it's just shot like it's two people talking. But yep. the way that they're acting and the way that you know because this is really like the pivotal. If this scene didn't work the whole movie would like fall apart because yes. this is like where you see what he does t- to the people to yep. like cuz it always cuts away before he does the hypnosis right. in um the first the first time he does it and the second time but um this time you see it and it's like very unsettling yeah. and it's like oh shit this is like
1: Another fucked. another great example of that is when the school teacher is being questioned by the detective and his friend in the beginning, and he's got the straight jacket on. He, he. One thing I like is, as you said, well, there's these stationary shots that are wide, but then you don't really expect the camera to start moving with everybody, but then it does. And so then they go to the other side of the room, and the guy starts to break down. The only one who does, the only murderer who actually does start to kind of get emotional about what they did. And um, then he just makes a beeline for the wall and just starts smashing <laughs> his head against the wall. And then on the you know, on, on the tray or whatever. And then there's a quick, hard cut away. But that little last explosion of violence in the same wide shot, you know, there's just so many different expressions taking place in the same shot. They're not just long takes. But it, again, it's it's he's able to squeeze, to like, you know, use every part of the animal. Like he's not letting anything go to waste in that in that one shot emotionally you see the person go from catatonic to then like rapidly trying to bash their own brains in
2: and it never changes the camera angle and another thing about that that quick cut after is that it's like kind of a funny cut because the, i think the other um detective says like what a drama queen or what yeah. <laughs> what a great performance yeah. or something yeah
1: like, you know they're they're at that point they don't understand the yeah whatever supernatural, whatever you would f- think of it as.
2: Yeah, they think he's just going for an insanity defense exactly. or something, I'm yeah. sure.
0: And also early in the movie, between the detective and the psychologist, one of the early, um, one of the early like, explanations that they give for these seemingly unrelated crimes with the same MO yep. is, has there been a movie t- movie
1: novel or TV show with this plot? Yeah. yep. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was thinking about that. I said that's part of the movie mindset, is that they're very aware of that. They're they're thinking maybe people
2: are just getting too someone into these have, movies. These some, someone should have been in there to be like Exorcist Three. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I've seen this. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And the Gemini Killer
1: himself was was uh, was going off of Dirty Harry or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so so I I just before we go on would also want to say that Koji Yakusho is amazing in the film. I mean he's the he's he's the protagonist if you want to call him that. Um, he has just such a great ability to 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 begin. It could have been a boring performance because he's so beaten down and he's so pissed off and he's not he's not particularly likable, yeah. but he's so fascinating to watch. And the more he becomes obsessed and frustrated with trying to crack this uncrackable catatonic uh, Charles Manson esque, you know, hypnotist. The more you you can really see like his acting chops, and there's an yeah. I mean, especially the scene where, to some degree, uh, Maima has gotten in, wormed into his mind and makes him think he comes home to see his wife's suicide. And that scene where he breaks down is on the floor. It's just a, it's again, so a, upsetting. A long shot where at first he's just like you know he's screaming, but then he's just like got his head in, like his his eyes you know in between his fingers where he's covering his face, and is there just they're pink and tear you know f- full of tears and he's just like gawking at his the corpse of his wife and then it snaps back to reality and she's doing the laundry or so or vacuuming uh, she's, vacuum. she's uh, making a smoothie and and vacuuming oh, yeah. and he's just on the floor like a complete mess and the entire atmosphere has changed, but his performance is like it's it's incredibly affecting, and I well, it's one of, it's one of his best performances. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he has this very kind of like
0: basset hound look in it, yes, you know. Uh, and uh, have you have you guys seen thir- Mike's remake of Thirteen Assassins? Yeah, of course. Yes, he's okay, like he's the main character in that. And there's a great there's a great scene of great acting in that movie where after his character, who's sort of this like um, seem like sort of nice guy widower samurai who's been waiting his yep. whole life for the opportunity to, to die in service of the emperor or his, his feudal lord or whatever. But, you know, he's just lived too long. Yeah. But he's still really good. He's a really good samurai. And then his, like, retainer or something, I won't spoil this scene for you if you haven't seen Mike's 13 Assassins, shows him probably one of the most horrific images I've ever seen put to film. One of the most, like, That's horrible degradations yeah. of human life like, like you could possibly imagine. And, like, they, 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 they slide the door shut. And he looks at that. And he like doubles over with joy in that moment, and he sort of like catches himself and like betrays like almost laughter because he's like, "I've waited my whole life for a cause this good to die for." Right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> this is the big one. This is the big one. This Jackpot. Is what, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, and 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 then of course, needless to say, you know, I, I've been told the spoilers are okay. You know, by the end of the film. The cure we're really talking about. When you see the difference in his performance, not to put too fine a point on it, but when you see the relief yeah. that he's that he's accepted at the end of the film, and I don't know, we can talk about it specifically in a bit if you like. But that in and itself, after the whole movie of him just gritting his teeth and slamming, you know, when like he his drops
2: down at one point, he drops off his wife at this like um, psych ward yeah. and is like, "I'm gonna just leave you here so you don't get hurt." And as he's leaving, the doctors like. Hey man, you look worse than your wife to me. Yeah. He took like, mercy on me and gave me two volumes. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, he's he's been through it, and at the end of the film, he he's let go uh, of he's, what he's is of, of what's troubling him. Yeah, and he's also taken up smoking. He's cured.
0: Yep. Did you check that out? Yep. Yeah, yep. Uh,
1: uh, and, and and we can talk about. It, but he's he's also finished his meal in the yeah. middle of the movie. He's at that same place, and he he doesn't finish his meal because he's too you know tired and uh, stressed out. But at the end, he's. He pushes his plate yeah, away. Yeah, he's so, now, like,
2: that was delicious. Now that you mention it, the first time he comes home, his wife yep. says that she didn't make anything. And then the second time he comes home, there's just a raw piece of meat on yep. a plate. He hates that. So he never gets to eat, really. Yeah, because in
1: the first scene, she he, marks a wave, he microwaves it, but after they've they've had a moment of normalcy, he hears the dryer. He hears the yeah, dryer yeah, again. Yeah. Yeah. And he just gets <laughs> up and he just walks out. I gotta go turn the shit yeah. off. But, like,
0: Brennan, your point about... um. Koji Yakusho's performance in this movie um i i think that like the way like his his it, it speaks to the themes of the movie and how repressed and reserved he is until key moments in this movie and i think this speaks to the question of why the mesmerist does not his tactics don't seem to work on on uh um was, sorry, t- t- Takabe. Takabe. Yeah. Why it doesn't seem to work on him, even despite all the one on one time that they have together. <laughs> and that is because, like, in the scene where they first encounter each other in the hospital, and it's in this, like, dark, like, laundry room, and he's giving him the circular questions things, like, yeah. you know, where am I? Who yeah. am I? Yeah. Who are you? Or whatever. Yeah. It's the first time in the movie that anyone betrays any emotion of any kind when he gets, like, volcanically angry at him and begins, like, slamming things yep. and just, like, screaming at him yep. to be like, I'm sick of this bullshit. Just yep. answer my question. Yep. Where the yeah. fuck are you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's because, I think, like, the, the, the clue there for me in watching this movie is that it is in his ability to, like, communicate his rage and express it towards, like, an obviously enervating right. situation is what makes him immune to this kind of hypnotism, whereas right. everyone else is sort of, like, confounded by this guy. But, right. like, I don't know. It's like whether it's like the politeness demanded They've by sublimated Japanese society. Their, their stuff, that like yeah. yeah, exactly. That it's it's their sublimation of their like yeah. obviously like normal anger at this weirdo confounding yeah. them with these yeah. th- these uh, circular questions and never answering uh, any questions posed to them uh, that they repress yep. that makes them vulnerable to his. Uh,
1: That's why you have to, a, have to be
2: have to be a huge jerk in order to not murder yeah. people. And because like the first guy, he the school teacher you see like a glint of jealousy when he's like, or like not jealousy, but like when he says, I saw your life. Yeah. When he's like, Oh, the woman in the pink negligee. Yep. And then he's like, you saw my wife, like when, where? And like, um, then the doctor who he's like really just horrible to. And like, yep is just like remember all the sexist abuse that yep. happened in yeah, yeah, yeah. school. Yeah, that, that's where
1: yeah. The, the, the subtext does start to become text a I, bit yeah, in that yeah, yeah. interview. And the her.
0: scene with the doctor, like the scene with the, the water uh, that I, like, you know, I, I noticed way more of the stuff about men and women this time around watching the movie. And like I said, this, the violence that like sort of polices the boundaries and like this unbridgeable chasm between like the universe of men and women. And when like he's talking to the doctor, he says like, 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 why are you a doctor? You're just a woman. Yep. And he says don't you know women are a lower form of life than men? Yep. And he's like that's what they told you in medical school and like when you dissected your first corpse you wanted to be a surgeon you ended up as a gp but all you really wanted to do was cut open a man. Yep. And and it's and we, where does she kill her victim in a men's, men's room bathroom. in a men's bathroom mm-hmm. she, that's where she peels off peels off, the, off face. the guy's face yeah, yeah. and like th- back to the um the Chris Marker quote about like th- this this rift it seems to manifest itself only in violent slaughter and discreet melancholy. Well, in this movie, like discreet melancholy is the detective character, yep. and the violent slaughter is everyone else. The original
1: yeah. title, do you know about the no. title thing? The original title was, or the working title was Evangelist. That's what Goji, mm. yep. sorry, that's what um, Kyoshi Kurosawa originally was going to title it. Because
2: when it's showing the video of Mesmer, this was like a huge like things clicking into place for me moment. When it's showing the clip of Mesmer, because it shows a clip of um, Mesmer like in 1898 doing a, like hypnotizing a woman. And he's like, you see his hand moving and you think he's doing the X, Mm -hmm. but he's making the sign of the cross. Mm -hmm. And then, and that's also what um, Maima um, does at the end too when he does this and then gets shot. Although, I mean, it could be
1: an X because. One of the great yeah, reveals yeah. ever is in the scene where uh, the detective and his psychology buddy oh, yeah. are in his apartment, yeah. and all we know about this killer or whoever is going to kill someone is you see an X near you before you go, and, like, yeah. and all the victims the Have carotid arteries arteries into their throat sliced
0: in an X pattern, and they're yeah. talking
1: the whole night, and then one of them moves uh, out of frame and you see a huge X behind or him. Or no, like he, yeah. turn, he goes into the bedroom and turns on the light. And it turns on the light, and and the, light
0: like like yes. the, the darkened door frame, it's like, you know, he's very obviously like all the shots of in, interiorism. in this. It's like, you know, a Japanese filmmaker, you can't help but be influenced by Ozu. Sure. And like sure. the way he composes inner space. Yeah. But like, you know, the, the frame of the door has been there. And again, this like static shot where the camera moves like horizontally and you see like the, the blackened like, you know, rectangle of this yep. door frame. And the police psychologist at this point has sort of studied yeah. the killer's technique and become obsessed with Mesmer in the same way yep. and is like beginning to lose his mind. Like yep. the, 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 the disease has, has infected him. The, like, you know, what was inside. Or the cure. Yeah, or the cure. Yeah. Disease or cure. Yeah. Who knows? And then he goes in the bedroom and turns on the light. And as soon as he turns the light, you see a huge X on his bedroom wall. I think and he's it, like, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I
1: think it's implied that he kills himself.
0: Yeah, because no hand, one kills he, he handcuffs him. He handcuffs himself to like a radiator, yeah. And I feel like the handcuffs are bloody, and he, he kills himself. But I think he handcuffs himself to the radiator because he knows enough to know right. that he's been infected with it and right. is going to kill someone. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: the The thing about the the name uh, of the film, Evangelist, which is still one of the tracks of the soundtrack, which is like, incredibly hard to find. But if you find it, you see one of the tracks is called Evangelist. And then Kurosawa said that's too obvious. Like I don't want to go go too heavy on the. Um, religious connotations and the, all that. So someone from the production company, he says, like a functionary, said, oh, why don't you call it Cure? And he took that, he didn't come up with the name, but he <laughs> took that, and which is kind of odd to think because it's such a deliberate title. It's such a title, title yeah. Or it seems that way given the way things end up. And I think one of the most profound ways to use the word Cure to mean something that you really don't think it means. Because like you just said, the disease. But really, I don't know if you want to like pull yeah. off the band-aid but like by, by the end of the film the struggle between Maima and Takabe the detective has come to a head Takabe has sectioned his wife as Super <laughs> Hans would say yeah yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Mary's been sectioned <laughs> uh, he, he sectioned her and he's like starting to be like yeah fuck this like I'm done taking care of her and then he just unleashes his rage and kills Maima very abruptly. Like, you think there's going to be some big speech and showdown yeah. and he just whips out his gun and, and blows him middle. away. He's in the middle yeah. of a speech yeah. too and he's no, just it, like, it surprises yeah, him yeah, too, yeah. a little bit. I mean, yeah. It's
0: like in an, an American movie, like the Irish villain would be like unveiling his master <laughs> yeah, yeah, plan yeah, 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 and yeah. the protagonist yeah. and then halfway through it, he just unloads a clip into yeah. him.
1: Yeah. And there's no music. There's no. no, it's not dramatic at all in the same way we've been describing. And then, um Mayim is fading away. Uh They have some interesting dialogue that you can obviously watch in the film. He does the little cross or the, or the X or whatever it is. And then, this is my read of the ending: is Takabe goes into the next room. This is the hideout of the hypnotist. This is the, this is the the, hmm. the Hypnobarn, Hypno barn. Hypno Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sissy <laughs> hypno barn. Uh, and uh, and he goes and he finds these old phonographs and this this is a lot of you know of the the raw
2: materials that maybe
1: mesmer himself was using or what.
2: Yeah, it's like a wax cylinder. It's old ass yeah. shit.
1: And he puts it on. And to me, it is not that because th- then the next scene is he's in the the restaurant and he looks he looks great yeah <laughs> he's he's wearing like a nice suit he's finished his meal which he hasn't done all movies he's he, got his with, he lights up a cigarette he, lights up he has a cig, not done in the movie before done. so he's living an easy. like the cigarette you know I obviously my emo smoked a cigarette too obviously but it's also just a sign he's kicking back mm-hmm. and um, he looks contented for the first time he's not acting hypnotized no, is the thing. No. he's not acting weird she's like do you want more coffee? Like, oh yeah empty. please yeah. yeah he's 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 just relieved and he says, now we don't know what, what he's been saying to the waitress the whole time, but we see them talk and they're perfectly polite. She's like, okay, you know, here's your coffee. He's like, okay, thank you. And that's why I just want to stress he's not acting hypnotized. He just acts like he's, he's achieved some kind of better health. Yeah. Uh, and then she walks over. To the register or something, and her manager comes by, whispers just something, whispers something. But I, 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 think it's actually somewhat connected to bright future. Here is that. Oh her yeah, manager the boss, tells her, your boss orders her to do something, mm-hmm. and she kind of does that. And then you just see she walks over to a tray, grabs a pretty big knife, <laughs> and then is off to and go then do something right across it, it and mm-hmm. then it cuts. cuts. <laughs> yeah. over. Now, I think that what happened was essentially is that Takabe has. Taken up the work. Yes. Of, yeah, of yes. Maima. He has now absolutely. become the evangelist. Like because yeah. he's he's like oh and importantly his wife ends up dead with an X cut in her throat. Uh, yeah. 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 So he either told someone else to do that. I, I think he probably told someone else to kill her inside of the the uh, the psych ward rather than doing it himself because that's not the style I, of mesmer.
2: I think the, the first time I saw it like another way to read it I think is that it's like spreading. It's been un- that's unleashed. Exactly,
0: that's exactly how I read it. Like when yeah. I first saw the movie, is that like it's once again. So understated, but so profoundly disturbing, the last shot of this movie. Because what it suggests, I think, is that like at one point the police psychologist uh, tells tells uh, the detective character, he said, uh, what is Mayuma? He's a missionary sent to propagate the ceremony. And the like uh, hypnotism in Japan in the early 20th century, late 19th century, was called soul conjuring. Mm. And that he is like an evangelist for the ceremony. Mm. This ceremony. And I, I read the end of the movie is that like, the detective has now taken on that role, whether he's aware of it or not. Mm. But the point is, like that, the ceremony of soul conjuring has sort of broken containment. Which is a lot like pulse, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, of, exactly. A, a spread of something yeah. dark
1: yeah. and supernatural, yeah,
0: yeah. Like it's it's become now like a pandemic,
1: and and, and honestly, bright future too. Uh, there's a similar yeah, feeling. The, that jellyfish, that the that jellyfish, the jellyfish is very are visual the jellyfish and literal. literally do break containment yeah. in that movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and I love the ending too. It's perfect. Did you know that it originally goes on? No. So. He made the right call, and he's. This is in the QA. If you look at the um, manager when she goes and speaks, whatever she says, which I don't think is, I, I don't think is anything more than her telling the employee what to do. But she says something to her, and then she walks away. Uh, Kurosawa points out that you can see her back looks a little, um, like uh, a little too straight because she has a uh, wooden plank in her back. The actress, because in the next scene he was going to show you the employee go into the kitchen and stab her boss to death uh, brutally and and just have it depicted. That's but he really thought, like crazy
2: that they just use a wooden plank. You
1: just yeah, wait, wait, one. it's not. No. It was,
0: it was just, you just stab
1: a wooden plank with a real knife? That, that seems to be <laughs> oh, what right, he was implying. Wow. All right. Yeah. Uh, or some kind of special prop, you know. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, and and then he's like, you can kind of see it. It's not too obvious. Uh, I'm sure he sees it because he made it. But uh, he said I thought it was too much, and that we didn't need it, and that it's no, much it's, more haunting to just know it's coming. And it he's uh, a thousand percent right. There's yeah. nothing more haunting than that silent uh shot of the woman striding to go see her boss with that knife, and then the the credits are like on the street that. Um, Takabe Lives maybe or, or something but it's just dusk and it's silent for a little bit and the credits are rolling and then the, the goofy piano music starts yeah, yeah. to come in. Or it's, it's actually like a classical uh, style piece that comes dun, in. Dun, it's dun, not dun, so bad. Yeah. yeah. So I mean one of the best endings period. So sick.
0: It, and yeah like I said like it's, it's the, the, something has broken containment yeah. and like that these casual random acts of violence are going to spread and continue to spread and you know it, it's like in Bright Future it's this like the, the violence done against the boss and his family who again the boss in Bright
2: Future is not like a tyrant or a bad guy he's pretty annoying he's, he's annoying as he's fuck. annoying that's like it he's just yeah. like a a weird, annoying guy. He's just like a, a guy who wants to be cool
0: and yeah. hang out with his yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he wants to, like, he wants to you be know, young. Rap with his But employees. like, you know, just like, it, it, it's like, the, like, you know, whether it's Japanese society or ours, it's these like inflection points of like yes. power. And Tipping the, points. And authority and like social order and hierarchy that people have this like, this rage to
1: like rebel against violently. Yeah, and, and not to uh, to beat it to death, but, well, you know, as appropriate, but mm-hmm. uh, not to beat it to death, but similar with Exorcist 3 is the church, doctors, and uh, you know, like the sort of mental health, you know, professionals in that movie. Like, oh, and the police. Like every part, p- portion of society that's supposed to be to an institution and to trust manage in, manage order, and, order. Mm-hmm. and and manage order. Same with as you, I had thought about and that. And life and death itself. Yeah, you know? as you said, the school teacher, the cop, and the and the nurse or the the, the doctor. So uh, I think it's it's pretty easy to see what he's trying to say um, once you take the whole movie together. And it actually is a great. Segue into Bright Future because it's—I don't know if it's a spiritual sequel, but it's dealing in a very similar thing with just a couple different emphases. More, more, more specifically, maybe with young people yeah. uh, in particular in Bright Future. Uh, the last thing
0: I, I, I want to bring up about Cure is the part where the uh, the psychologist character has like done all the research that um, that the the mesmerist killer has done, and is sharing it with um, the detective character. And he has that, that video of a Japanese woman. like The first case of like hypnotism being used to treat hysteria in Japan is from 1898. Mm-hmm. And it's a woman who murdered her son by carving an X into his neck. Mm-hmm. And like there is like, like very early like, like film footage of this woman being treated in a hospital. Like, but the, the hypnotist, you never see. You see his hands conducting yep. it. Yep. But you see it like, and I think the connection between the director of the movie and the hypnotist Mm-hmm. Is, is, is like I yeah. think like, like mm-hmm. you make a, com- a comment there definitely like, you don't see the director in the movie but yep. he is hypnotizing you the whole absolutely. time absolutely absolutely but also the thought I had rewatching this movie is that like when they bring up this woman who um kills her own child and carves an X into his neck she's described as sort of like the patient zero mm-hmm. for this yeah and like there's a number of different ways you can read this movie but like the one that I came to in this is that like Mayuma is just like the latest manifestation of like this disease slash cure that has been like passing itself from person to person sure. for a long time. Sure. For like well over a century in Japan that there's this like unnameable thing, whether it's like, a, you know, a disease of like language or culture that is just sort of propagating itself and it has now reached this like critical mass. Well, like, again, I mean, the inspiration is why do people do this? You and, know? this and this gets yeah. back to like Japan during World War II. Yeah. And about how I think both of these movies, in certain ways, like while never directly confronting it, are very much about like Japan's history as a fascist country.
1: I also think Japan's well, we can talk about this with Bright Future because I think it's more um, in the foreground. But Japan's um, sort of cultural osmosis of Western and American yeah, culture yeah. and 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 a lot of the or values, if you like, is is in Bright Future. You know, this reminds me of actually with the whole point of cure versus disease. Do you remember? Do you remember ever reading what Cronenberg uh, to bring him up? And some have said, I guess, he's, been, he's, one, been, he's is been compared to Cronenberg of which Japan. I think is a little cheap, uh, yeah, ch- sort of cheapens him. He's not a cop- copy of someone else. He's he does very different stuff from Cronenberg, but definitely, uh, I think, as talented and as original. And he's very cold and clinical portraits of sure. violence. I think sure like he's um, yeah. But the Cronenberg um, once gave an interview about shivers that he related to that's the slug one right? yeah yeah where there's a, the there's a one. a a a kind of epidemic going around in which people are liberated from their they're, they're basically they like become sexual repression. yeah but but it, yeah. but but they but they become you know completely if you like they would describe themselves as liberated, and he said you know perversely like i i felt like it was a good thing that it's happening to them, you know, that they're finally free of all their hangups. And so I like, you know, that the spread is a good thing in that movie. Um, which, if you watch the movie, you could argue that quite a bit. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> fucked up stuff those people do. But but anyway, the him dog viewing soon. Uh, the kid. Uh- <laughs> I think a little repression is good for his Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but him viewing it not as a disease but as the cure. Uh, you know, the slugs are 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 to him. He he was either maybe trying to be contrarian or what. But in the same way, um, Kurosawa might have been saying what it would feel like to truly leave all your obligation, all your shame, all of that behind would feel like you've been made healthy again. And like,
0: you know, in in Cronenberg or J.G. Ballard, which Cronenberg draws heavily from, or then adapted Crash into a very great movie himself, I think it's like the idea that there is a distinct pleasure in losing your mind. Yes. that Like insanity is like not to be like, or, you know, whether it's fe- whether you should fear it or not is sort of irrelevant because if you're experiencing it, doesn't matter certain, anymore. <laughs> there is a sort of liberation and distinct yes. pleasure yes. to giving yourself over to violent expression of one's inner self. Yep. And in this movie, I think like back to the idea about like this is kind of about World War II and fascism, mm. is that like the, the, this patient zero that this disease or cure, mm. whatever you want to call it has like existed in Japanese society and like has like evolved and mutated and like propagating itself. But that ultimately it still exists because like the essential violence and horror of World War II and like the 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 way in which like nations of people gave themselves over to this absolute death drive towards yeah. annihilation. Was never really resolved or yes. dealt with yes. until one brave hero built a <laughs> homemade shotgun and put in the dirt the leader of one of Japan's <laughs> longest-standing fascist hey. political parties. X, get him yeah. out. <laughs> you get him, buddy. Uh,
1: yeah, and absolutely. I mean, you could even you could. I wouldn't want to be presumptuous and say put words in Kurosawa's mouth, but I mean, 1898 uh, significant time uh, for you know Japan in starting to really at that point crank up the war machine for what, you know, a couple years later, they fought the Russians uh, to develop uh, the modern Japanese state into, you know, an, an imperialist juggernaut that would, even before the Nazis and the fascists, uh, plunged the world into what what happened in the, in the 20th century. And that that's when patient zero showed up and that this is something that can express itself society-wide, not just in individuals. But it can spread and it can, you know, become this this epidemic or, as I'm sure the Japanese imperialists felt, a, a renewal. I mean, the Meiji Restoration, you know, that whole idea was that we're renewing, we're rejuvenating our country by engaging in death and destruction and conquering people. So but also
0: the introduction of the West to Japan, and then we'll see in bright future the conspicuous... Appearance of Western corporate brands yes.
1: in that movie, and when they show up, yeah, and what scenes they're 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 in the foreground, like yeah. Zima at one point, obviously yeah. the Zima one, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, So yeah, I mean, look, Cure. Uh, there was the first film I ever saw of his. I think I saw it. At IFC. I got to see it at IFC a couple years ago. If you ever get to see a screening of it, definitely go. It's I think Criterion put it out. Uh, yeah, so it's can, on the channel right now. You can see it now. I, I, I had the pre-Criterion Blu-ray where it says, uh, oh, I'm sorry, this is region locked, but if you press the menu button, it just skips that and you can actually watch it. Uh, <laughs> thanks to the people who make those uh incorrectly coded regional you know, free all regions that's yeah. what yeah. i hate free that. all regions i hate that but um it's just it's one of my favorite movies of all time you know well i have a giant poster of it in my yeah, place do. a you great know? poster a cool poster look yeah. up the poster uh the one with like uh his face uh with his eyes open and closed and then all these instruments all these of death. instruments of murder yeah, like yeah. hatchets yeah. and chisels yeah. and like, shit o- like that. almost like a kind of instruction yeah. manual yeah. like a kit <laughs> yeah it's such a cool poster. Um, and uh, it's a great introduction to Kurosawa. I would say more than Bright Future is. Bright yeah. Future, we'll talk about it's a it. deeper cut. We well, let's get into Bright Future, which is the way more,
0: like you know, uh, difficult, yeah. uh, like challenging, and like in many ways more enigmatic film it's about the art
1: house side.
2: Of yeah, felt like. Uh, and it's also like in, in
0: watching it again this time. It's just like I, I found that like my initial reading of the movie was I think probably incorrect or, mm. or at least not complete. So both of these movies are ones that really reward multiple. Viewings. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right, so you want to take a quick break, and then we'll talk about yeah, yeah, sure, future. Yeah, uh,
1: sure.
0: Before we get into a uh, bright future, Brendan, can I just get can I just get a little bit of Trump talking about cure? <laughs> oh god, <laughs> I
1: wasn't prepared for this, Mister um, B. Abby. He doesn't know, he doesn't know where he is, doesn't know who he is, but you do not want to have a smoke break with Mr. Miami. He was not so nice to that policeman in the little police box. He thought it was his home, but he was he was not at home. You should not act like that. But we're gonna find him and we're gonna ask him some really serious questions. We're gonna have a fantastic conversation with Mr. Miami. <laughs> And maybe we'll just find out why he does what he does. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right, uh, you. Do not want to have a smoke break? <laughs> sure. Go see it. Run, don't walk. Next up is Bright Future. It's about- We're going to have a future so bright, you're going to be sick of it. It's going to be such a bright future. You're going to need sunglasses. You're going to need shades. It's going to be so good, better than Tom Cruise. It's about...
0: Nimura is a very, very, frankly, a very disturbed young man. Not like Baron. Not like Baron.
1: Baron's very good with computers. The thing he does on computers, you won't believe. <laughs> a, he sticks his hand right in the jellyfishes right there. It's like, you, you, they sting. They're poisonous. What are you doing? They sting. Get it out of there. <laughs> They're not so good. <laughs> Don't have it as a pet. How, how, stupid how, stupid, how stupid are we? How stupid are we with the
0: jellyfish everywhere? Get the, it out of there! Everyone's the sticking their head in. Crowd this goes is wild.
1: <laughs> Rally crowd goes wild. Japan has got to stop sticking their head in with the jellyfish. <laughs> <laughs> it is not safe to do. <laughs> okay, so if we I could do this forever uh, <laughs> we, shouldn't, we shouldn't do this. <laughs> so.
2: Nereu, uh, toよく夢を見る。それはいつも決まって未来の夢だった。
0: uh, Bright Future came out in uh, 2003. It stars Joe Odagari as Namira, Tadanobu Asano as Arida, who's right in the Mortal Kombat uh, movie that came out. Uh, he, he, uh, Asano is probably like He's one, the most, one of the most globally famous yeah. Japanese actors. He was in Peter Berg's Battleship. Yes, uh, he was. A, this is a Chapo movie episode. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he was also in the remake of Zatoichi, the uh, yeah. Blind Swordsman yeah. with yeah. Kitano. Yep. Um, Cafe Lumiere, another movie I studied in, in grad school. Oh, yeah. But a very, very handsome man. Extremely. He's looking good in this. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Tatsuya Fuji is the dad, is yeah. Arita's father, who becomes like sort of the main character of Bright yeah. Future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Bright Future, uh, let's begin with the, the, the rather stunning opening scene or like the opening narration of uh, Nimura, who plays a very disturbed young man. And like, I, I guess like th- this movie. Had a profound effect on me because I think it really communicates like the essential feeling of alienation and this fear that you will never fit into the adult world. That I remember being very present in mm. my own heart and mind in my twenties. Would and, you like, say it's happened by
1: now? I, I think I think I've, I, yeah I,
0: I've managed okay. to do it without any jellyfish ecological disaster okay. or so any, any murders. But okay. uh, but it begins with the the voiceover of the main character uh, Namura, yeah. who's obsessed with this like. I what do you say? Like it's an arcade game, but like sort of like a classic physical arcade game that involves yeah, you shooting shoot. you shoot like a this sort of surface that like when you shoot things it pops up like a little I guess like,
1: it senses the gun light and then it makes
0: the it sort of pops yeah, the salt uh, uh, pop or whatever and you sort of get it in yeah. the hole. And I, I don't know if you noticed this, but the name of the arcade game is called Cool Gunman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Nibiru is playing it's just that you see his like very blank face as he just like robotically pulls the trigger on this like stupid not really enjoying it not really enjoying it something to do and he is the voiceover says I've always had a lot of dreams when I sleep the dreams are always about the future and in my dreams the future is always bright brimming with hope and peace so I've always loved to sleep that is until just recently. <laughs> I and mean, it's very much like a Dostoevsky, like, I am sick. Yes. You know, like, notes from the underground. Like, it's just a disturbed young man. And it just, so you're introduced to him and his friend, um, Arida, played by Asano, and who are just basically like, I would describe them as the Japanese Derek Harris and, sorry, uh, Dylan Harris and Eric Klebold. Yeah, uh, certainly one of them. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They're no, you're right. Because right, like one's a follower and one's yeah, the Yeah, no, one yeah, like
0: yeah. As- Asano's character, um Arita is clearly the more dominant yes. uh like member and he is very much looking out for Namira in this movie. Yeah. Like the thing with the hand the hand signals where he's like, This means stop, just this means go, ahead. go, go ahead. Yeah. But basically they're they're both working um this incredibly dead-end job in like a laundry in, in Tokyo. Yep. And they're just two like uh just sort of like alienated, depressed young men.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you get to see them work the first thing you see is that there's that Not to put too fine a point on it, but the dreamy introduction, where he's talking about how 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 bright the future is in his dreams, and then it just smashes (laughs) into reality where he's passed out during the job because it's boring and monotonous and uh, sucks. And the uh, time when they're actually hanging out is also pretty boring (laughs) because you just you get to see them. You know when they're I guess he's at Arita's at his friend's apartment and there's a jellyfish in a tank. I guess there's a TV. But they just kind of sit around, don't really talk. There, he flips through a magazine and he goes, "Okay, I guess I'm going to go home now." Like, it, not, nothing is is engaging. Nothing is stimulating. Yeah. There's no real direction or point, even when they're not working and when they're hanging out together. What did you guys make
0: of the, like I said, like the wildly different films, like the digital film stocks used from scene to scene? Like, like often in the middle of a single scene, it will cut back and forth between yes. like really shitty, grainy video. Yeah. And like, I guess like another, like a higher, a higher,
1: like a higher quality video. Uh, But like, it's just, it's really jarring. There's an expression, film is what the mind sees and video is what the eye sees, or you reverse that. You know, video is the, the literal representation of what, you know, we feel everyday life is. But film, through the shutter speed and all these other things, creates a much more, what we think of as a cinematic image. Yeah. And I think the movie plays around with that a bit in that he's talking about his dreams and contrasting it with reality and so there's moments where you're looking at the world his world through film and a little bit a little bit more cinematic and then there's moments where it just looks like like a mini dv home video it's camera s- it's
2: very surveillance like yeah. it's kind of surveillance camera-esque it reminds me also of um, have you guys seen the movie All About Lily Choo Choo?
1: no
0: no I don't think I have that's no.
2: like this movie's like heavily indebted to that movie I think it's like a lot of very who, similar who made themes. it it's Shunji Iwaii and um, he did, like, Love Letter, Hannah and Alice. Like, a bunch of just, like, fun little movies. But it's, it's like, a really, like, it's very, very similar to this. And I think, like, it came a few years earlier than this. And there's a extended sequence in the middle of that movie where um, the two main characters who are, like, school friends, they have, like, uh, you know, a DV video camera and they're, like, recording this, like, vacation kind of that they're on. Um, it's, it's different in this in that, it's, like, diegetic in that movie. Mm-hmm. It's, like, them holding the camera and, like, goofing off. But in this, it's almost, like, it feels like when you're, like, really high and then you get, for just a second, like not as high. And then, like, <laughs> like, and then you're like what the fuck? And then, like, suddenly you're high again. Oh, well, thank like, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that, that's film versus video. Yeah, yeah. You know, because, yeah, there's just, and and the whole film is pretty grainy. It's, like I mentioned earlier, it doesn't. Washed out. Yeah, it's very, well, the colors is a whole different thing, but it doesn't, it's not as pretty as Cure. It's not filmed, I don't think, with like a traditional crew and lighting. It it seems like it's much more kind of raw, probably a little bit more like like a a lower budget or a smaller production. It it could also be that it hasn't been restored uh, that well yet, but it's also very handheld to the, documentary point i think he talks about in some interview that i've never made a documentary but i sometimes shoot like like a documentary It's kind of like friedkin-esque but but this one it's it's not a beautiful film compared to how cure looks but it 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 works for what the film is trying to do and then yes the color there's some scenes where it is so washed out that it's almost black and white yeah it's it's overexposed um whereas cure is almost kind of underexposed in in, in a lot of ways intentionally of course this one is not to Evoked the title, but it is so there's bright, blinding white in in some cases, and not in the annoying way that everything now has an annoying washed out netflix um house style to it, but just in this particular approach he has visually, this movie is very desaturated and gray,
0: yeah, and we see so we see these two these two young men and they're dead end jobs, and um Namura like he like oh, it's kind of similar to Kira like he starts fights with people for no reason yep. like the 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 fried chicken scene where he just like starts a fight with a guy we don't really even see yeah. the fight just the next scene he has like a bandaid on his face but he's just like like angry disturbed have you noticed that also that um Arita and Nomura's clothing is like intentionally tattered the entire movie. Oh yeah, his jacket Horror by parts. the end
1: is just like it's like he's in the Terminator Future War. <laughs> yeah, parts. You know, they're they're roughing it out. Uh, but well, the, I think
0: I think that like they started of, the documentary style of this and like the grainy cuts to video at a certain point. I think it. I think it's really interesting in terms of when this movie begins to introduce elements of like magical realism. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because it really like fucks with your perception of like, because like, you know, when, um, Arita's ghost shows up for the first time, it really fucks with your perception of like, yep. what am I seeing here? Yep. Cause there's nothing to announce that like, Oh, that this is like a, a different reality or this is a dream or anything yeah. like that. He
1: doesn't do that, which is great. And is it, it's part of what makes Kurosawa's movies interesting and, and creepy is that it, it's again, it's like with the violence, it's matter of fact. He's just in the room now. You know he's dead, yeah. but I'm not announcing that. I'm not going into ghost vision or, you know, having some kind of transition. But then he, like his the ghost also affects
0: physical reality yep. as well. Yeah. Yep. Like he fucks up he fucks up their their Brian shrimp operation. <laughs> I,
1: I yeah. Know. It, uh yeah, and and the uh but but in the beginning, one thing that stuck out to me now, um long before Parasite, uh this is a movie about uh being so fed up with your boss that you just kill his, family. kill his whole family. <laughs> his well, whole not his whole family. family. Yeah. I, I think he, le- daughter, he lets the daughter, the daughter he lets he let's live. Because you live. have to maybe preserve yeah. some a, a sympathy for, um, for Arita. Uh, but and, and there's another great movie called Pickpockets, which is uh, s- similar as well. I'm not saying that no one had ever broached this before Parasite. But um, the boss, as you pointed out, well, I don't know if that we were on mic or off, he's not like a super rich guy like in Parasite. But it's almost... Worst, he's kind of like that <laughs> that that small business tyrant. He, you know? he's, a,
0: he's the worst kind of small business tyrant. Like the, the plot really begins when like the. Their boss is like trying to like hang out with them.
1: (laughs) The worst, the most nightmare is that is the
0: worst kind of small business tyrant. Is the guy who thinks he's cool and like your friend. He
1: says, "Give me some CDs. Let's hang out. You can give me some CDs from your young people."
0: Yeah, he like he brings uh, Nomura and Arita over to his house to move furniture. Great
1: for free. He's like, "I threw my back out, so uh, you guys can come over and just do this for free for me, right?" Yeah, and they move furniture
0: around his house. And then like like his wife gives him lunch or whatever and they ask, like, you know, what did you study in school? And Namura says, music appreciation. And she yep. goes, Oh, like oh, what, what kind of music? And he's like, just music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the boss
1: is just like, Oh, like, please give me a CD. I'd love to listen to your cool hip sounds. And and when and when he at one point he sees Namura on the job. And he's like, So do you have any CDs? He's like, What, on me? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, Yeah. And I guess somehow he does. <laughs> and then the boss grabs it. Like yeah. he's like, like, he's yeah. like
0: fiending for it. The scene where the boss comes to hang out at their house is so funny. It's, you know, oh my
1: god! He turns
2: on the TV. Yeah. It's like one of the funniest scenes I've ever. seen But also seen the movie. way that Arita is looking at him. Yeah, there is the, pretty scary. Yeah, it's and it's like I you get He's prefiguring feeling, the murder because yeah. okay, when they
0: first go over to the boss's house. Yeah, when they're leaving together. Arita looks back at his house and sees them through the window of this like nice family scene of them having dinner together as a family, as, you know, as normal people who fit into society. Uh, bourgeois middle class family. Like like their their roles are defined, their place in the social hierarchy is set, they're doing what you should do in society. Mm -hmm. Like he is, he's become a man, he has a family. And he looks back at the house in this sort of placid domestic scene and he contends to Numira. he says... I think a storm is coming. Yep. Yeah. And then walks away. And then like very soon after that, their boss shows up at um, uh, Arita's apartment. Yep. And just like unannounced to just like hang out with them. Yep. And yeah. And then yeah. So the scene where he like just turns on their TV to watch televised ping pong. Yeah. And and like for hours, He's clapping. And, and he's like clapping. He's like go Japan. And he's like come come cheer with he's, me. He's like come cheer with me. He's like you can really get into it. Yeah. Come cheer and with they're me. both
2: just sitting there silently looking at him. And they hate him so yeah. much. Yeah, they hate him. The like, hate in their eyes is yeah. unreal. But and, particularly Arita, when
1: he's just staring. Because I think the, doesn't the boss pass out or he falls asleep or something while watching the TV? Or he's he's like sipping. He just the whole ignores time. them. Yeah, like, yeah he ignores <laughs> him. But but when he's looking at him, he, you can see written on his face like I'm going to kill this mother. Yeah, yeah, real yeah. soon. And you know and, he,
0: he gives him this whole spiel about like, hey, like. I'm 55. How old are you guys? And he goes, mm-hmm. "Wow, like you're 25. I wish you could have met me at 25. I was really something back then in the early 70s. Yeah. I had guts back then. We all had, we all had guts. Everyone had clear goals mm-hmm. back in the 70s. Talking to these two shitheads who like have no goals, yeah. yep. no life, yep. and they're not. They're at 25. They're not really something, or like they're not enjoying right. life. They're not. They're not living it to the fullest. They're just too." totally depressed floating through floating through the floating
1: yeah yeah. Uh, the the first the first indication that it's there's some level of of the theme of generations yeah uh, not not having anything to do with each other in Japan at this point or at least in the context of the film
0: I think in like in Cure there is this unbridgeable gap between men and women and I think in this movie there is an unbridgeable gap between well Perhaps not so unbridgeable as the yeah. movie goes on. Yes, between the two, gener- two different
2: generations, and I think um, part of the the social taboo that gets violated in this, in the same way that like um, in Cure, it's kind of you know everyone's so bottled up and like mm-hmm. polite. It's like there's nothing they can do mm-hmm. because he's their boss and yep. he's like an older guy than them. Yep. They have to like treat him with some degree of respect and he's yeah. kind of abusing that yeah to try and be like encroach on the time to- the only time they have yes. like where they don't have to deal with him yeah and it's kind of like so he kind of has violated this social faux pas but the reaction they have is they can't, just like in <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: They, they can't be equally and oppositely you know just fuck yeah. off you know because he holds the power over their lives they're part-time. But even when he says, Oh, I think I want to hire you guys on full time, they're like, No, no fucking way. No, <laughs> yeah. come on, no. And you think, you know, normally in a, in a plot point, that might be nice that they get a full time job, but definitely not a good thing. But he also, he's, he does a lot of, he's always motioning, beckoning them. Like, like, yeah. yeah like, I was about yeah, to say yeah. the Sopranos. <laughs> There's that scene. Who is it? Is it Adriana who sees it? It's Hardy Bucco's wife. wife. it's Hardy Bucco's yeah. wife because Carmela sees her not just as a friend, but kind of as a servant. Yeah. yeah. And this guy, he's always like motioning them for to come over. There's that one scene where uh, Nomura is at the assembly line or whatever and the boss is just doing this for like a full minute he's just like I'm but 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 and then and then he he says do you have the cd and he uh, he just takes the c out of his pocket and he grabs it immediately like he's so handsy and it's it's just obviously it's an exaggerated way of being like this guy owns them he acts yeah. like he owns them he shows up to their fucking house whenever whenever he wants and this is what
0: I mean about like Chris always sort of very like subtle but unbelievably powerful hypnotic effect in his movies Is that the first time I saw Bright Future, I was like, yeah, like this boss is not like the stereotypical evil boss, but has like you said, he is annoying as fuck. And I didn't know I had no idea what the plot of this movie is or where it was going whatsoever. (laughs) And like I swear to God, as they are starting to think it, I in my own head am thinking. It would be, I would like to kill this guy. <laughs> yeah. I would like to kill this guy and his wife. <laughs> yeah, I mean. And here's the disturbing thing. Okay, so like when the boss goes to their house, he notices the jellyfish, right. which is a highly venomous red jellyfish.
1: I mean, like, I don't know where Arita got this fucking thing. Well, what, what, what Arita says before the boss is even there, Nomura sticks his hand in and he goes, hey, get it out. That's poison He goes, you're mocking the jellyfish's venom. <laughs> Never mock the jellyfish's venom. And then and then of course the boss does the same
2: thing. Yeah, he jellyfish his hand some but he most, does not Some of the most some uh, of the most
0: dangerously venomous creatures on the planet. Yeah. So the boss notices he says, "Oh, what is that a tropical fish?" And they're like, "Oh, it's a jellyfish." And he starts putting his hand in the tank just like Nemo did earlier. And Namira starts to yeah. like begin to say, Hey, don't do that. It's incredibly venomous. And Arita stops him. Arita, sh- yeah. Arita <laughs> stops him and like there's this, as long as he has the boss with his hand in yeah. the tank as this thing pulses yep. and like gets closer to him. And he pulls pulls his hand out at the last minute because he like sort of gets some premonition yeah. that something is off he here. He doesn't
1: get stung. He doesn't get it, stung. No. He's freaked out. But, somehow. Um
0: what he does do eventually is look up the red jellyfish and then confronts Arita about it, who yep. then quits. And then he says to Numura, he's like, hey, like, you're your friend who tried to kill me with
1: this jellyfish. Yeah. So. He says, I'll, I'll, get you that, I'll, I'll get you that position soon. If yeah. You yeah. don't yeah, try yeah, to yeah. do that again, yeah. I don't know. But
0: yeah. Uh, the, so, it, so here's the, 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 the super disturbing thing that happens is that Numero, who's like the more uh, passive one, he's like the less dominant member of the friendship. Because he wants his CD back, he's sort of like in the arcade, the bowling alley where he hangs out at his clothes that night. And he wants his CD back. So he walks to his boss's house Picks out a lead pipe, kind of like yeah. similar to cure the yeah. friend He's like cure. practicing with it he's before like he goes in. He's like flipping it
1: around in the street. He feels yeah. like maybe this is the night I'm going to kill my boss. And he yeah. like
0: goes to his house, I guess, with the intention of like giving my give me my CD back. Yeah. yeah. But he's li- thinking like he's going to murder. His murderous guy. intent for yeah. non
1: CD related reasons. Yeah. And he
0: goes into the guy's house, and they, like as you said earlier, Brendan, there's a scene of him like looking around, and then like there's one flash of him seeing these b- bludgeoned. To it's death like their bodies. heads are just yeah. pulp at yeah. that point or something it's in their very bedroom. Disturbing. And he realizes that his friend has had the same idea and because he's the more dominant one
1: has carried it out before he had the chance to. And and what's, what I found interesting with the dynamic is that Arita is is usually telling Nomura to calm down. Yeah. Be cool, he says, be cool. And Nomura is the one that looks prone to violent outbursts. He's, he's the chicken's too small. Yeah. He says, the pieces of chicken are too small in the beginning and he freaks out. But he's in fact the one who, he probably wouldn't have had the nerve to really kill his no. boss. Whereas... Arita cold and quietly brutally murders the boss, and he was the one who seemed like the voice of reason yeah. uh, between the two.
2: And of them. I was the, the first time I saw it. I like, I've I've seen this like one and a half times. I forgot like why I had to stop halfway the first time I saw it, but like, um, you went and you murdered your boss. Yeah, yeah. I had to, I had to stop it. And murder be ben. ben. You had to kill Ben. Kill ben. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jacques was already on his way to do the same yeah. thing. All right, <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I. I saw he walks in, sees the dead bodies, and I'm like, oh, and then the next scene, the police come, and then um, it's him and it's the two friends on opposite sides of this, like, jail, like... Yeah, the glass between them, yeah. 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 And I really thought that um, Nomura was the one in jail because he's... The way that the jail looks is, like, the the dark, tiny, like, box part is... The part that's the outside yeah and the cell it's more is spacious There's I mean, like inside a staircase very very with this, like shaft yeah. of light there's Coming an down, almost that's a beautiful staircase yeah. in the yeah. background and it, i was like oh so um Namura's in jail he mm-hmm. must have done it and like or gotten framed for it mm-hmm. or something um but then he's like then i realized like oh my god no it's the other way around perhaps arita feels more at home
1: inside of the prison than mm-hmm. he did outside in the real world and it's nice and comfy on the other side of that glass for him you know and like, yeah this is when the movie sort of shifts
0: yeah. and we're introduced to like
1: the, the, the really kind of the
0: main character of the movie which is like 40 minutes into the movie is mm-hmm. first revealed which is arita's father yeah who is you know of a different generation he's of a generation of, of the boss character right and like he hasn't really like seen or spoken to his son in five years yes. before he has to like have a meeting with his attorney where the attorney tries to tell him as gently as possible, you need to prepare yourself for your son's execution. Yep. Because, you know, Japan, one of the few countries that still has the death penalty on the books. And, and, they, and, and they she do, says, they do execute people in Japan. And she says
1: that he completely confessed. Yeah. And, yeah. And he it is a double murder. There's like no room. A premeditated room, double murder. There's no room at all. So, like, best yeah. case
0: scenario, life in prison. Yeah. But, like, in all likelihood, like, your yeah. son is going to be executed. And we get a series of, like, again, like, similar to the, um, the doctor 's office and cure or the many interrogation rooms in that movie the the visiting room in the prison where like both Namira and and Arita's father come and visit him in prison are like three or four scenes of them talking to each other through this like Great or whatever, that are so
1: heartbreaking.
2: It's yeah, just, they're, they're, I cried so like five sad. times watching this movie. I was like, it, it really got to me for some the reason. The father
1: in particular is a very—he's this—he's an interesting character. He's this kind of slight guy. He runs a repair shop, like an electronics he just, shop. Just like
0: finds old junk on the street, like yeah. refrigerators and TVs. But he wears and fans. like a ascot.
1: He wears, yeah, he he's got like kind of a fancy little touch to his outfit, and he's just a very sweet and unassuming guy. And he is alienated from his son, who. You know, is is a bit weird. Well, to be honest. Yeah. He's sorta, you know. His son's
2: a psycho. His other son too. His other is son's like, a prick. When he meets his other when he meets with his other that's son. That, that, that that's, I yes. was crying when I cause he meets with his other son and he's like, Hey, what do you need? And the son's like, um, can I have twelve million dollars?
0: <laughs> I mean I guess I, I guess that's it's the different scene currency. With the American yeah. brands.
2: Yeah. yeah. So so that's what I wanted to say is
1: that it's not just in that scene, but um and it's in the final scene as well, with the kids in the Che Guevara shirts yeah. at the very end. But especially in the scene, where Arita's father has a or mr Arita really it's the last name's first thing the the chat he's trying to have with his son who's completely you know almost archetypically materialistic and you know not connected to his family or his you know society at all every you know every corner of the frame has brands of American beers or American you know food and as we hinted at before, you know Japan not only is uh, haunted by the first half of the 20th century, but the second half of the 20th yeah. century, and the um, importation and the uh, like—I guess I said the word before osmosis of Americanism and like in Western capitalism and Western capitalism—and which is a very, however well they've adapted to it, and they became an incredibly dynamic economy. Obviously, um, it's very different to what a lot of people who grew up in the 20th century in Japan thought of as. You know, a, a part of their values and their their way of looking at the world, and what, Japan's history, Or what their future would be, and like. indeed the yeah. future, and and so then part of what you start to get in this film, and um, Will and I kind of said before this episode, you know, we don't want to go too beat for beat on the story, so you know, we're kind of jumping around rather than going linearly about the plot, but part, part of what you start to see Such is that it exists in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. it's also it's it's a hard thing to just go play by play on. Is that there's these group of punks, <laughs> these youths, these youths that are not. <laughs> They're not like the the other brother who's a materialist Prick. no they're sort of rebels they're, they're, they're of, rebels they're but they're still no wearing their <laughs> uniforms they're just yeah. wearing a chase you know. shirt under their uniform. but like they're all dressed yeah. the same yeah. they're but all they dressed have, the same they, but their
0: little stab at rebellion is that they all have the light like, up walkie talkie headsets yeah. and Che Guevara t-shirts I mean, cool and look
2: the mirror the, the way that their look kind of mirrored the jellyfish I thought was really interesting well, Are are they basically yeah. the
0: jellyfish <laughs> there was yeah. sort of broken containment well let's
1: talk
2: about the jellyfish because
0: this is sort of halfway through the film we gotta talk about jellyfish we got about? The they, like, what, what is this movie We've been about? dancing
1: around the yeah, jellyfish we, for too long. We've <laughs> got to shut down jellyfish until we figure out what the hell is going on. Other podcasts,
2: they don't talk about the jellyfish. You're or mocking about their venom.
1: T-shirt. You do not want to mock the venom. So
2: Get the hand out of there. <laughs>
0: uh, Arita, knowing full well that he's going to be executed, basically gives the jellyfish uh, to Nimura and says, He like, bequeaths oh, him. Yeah, I want you to take mm-hmm. care of it. But here's the thing. Arita is sort of obsessed with Acclimating his jellyfish to fresh water, right. and giving yeah. him instructions on how to like lower the salination level and temperature of the water very slowly, mm-hmm. to see to like to to somehow like force this this ocean creature to adapt to life in fresh water. Right. Again, this is part of like the kind of the strange magical realism in this movie that like doesn't really make sense. It doesn't make sense. And yeah. like in these heartbreaking scenes in the um, prison visiting room, uh, at one point. Arita sort of breaks up with Namura yep. and says, like, it's over. Like, we're finished. And I'm kind of disappointed. In he you know. reams him out. He, and like, yeah. you know, it's it's really it's really sad. Like, yeah, so like you said, like this is a deeply affecting movie for me. Like yeah. it's just it is so heartbreaking at so many points. And uh Namura comes home and like just knocks the jellyfish tank over. Yep. He just
1: like he breaks it. But we see the jellyfish fall in between the cracks yes. of the floor. Yeah. Underneath which there is Seeming uh, way out for him, a a pond into water. or yeah. some yeah. sort of like a yeah. canal connected,
0: yeah. and then like he later he comes home and like he, because he's like feels bad about the killing the jellyfish, yeah. and he rips up the floorboards in his house. Which by the way, as the movie goes on, Namira's apartment gets more and more fucked up, much like yeah. his uh, outfits and yeah, and jacket. And he like pulls up the the floorboards, and there's like an even bigger beautiful jellyfish, glowing, just glowing underneath the floorboards of his house in water, and then a second time he. Pulls up the same floorboards and there's like no water under there. There's just sort of like yeah, it's like a hole. It's like a
2: well or something. Right. Yeah. It's like a bottomless. It's like a Looney Tunes hole. Yeah, basically,
1: <laughs> kind of like the, the jellyfish has. And I think it's supposed to be the same jellyfish who yeah, survived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it's it's escaped. It's it's gone somewhere else. There's no. It doesn't live underneath his apartment yeah. anymore. It's, you know, it's, it's like
2: it's the just, cure in many ways. It's it, a broken containment. The, right. the
0: jellyfish right. is sort of like after uh, Arita kills himself in prison. Because right. he doesn't want to await execution. And he kills himself in all this very strange way where he like wraps like metal
1: wiring well, that's around the himself. sign of, remember, he says, I'll give you oh, this sign to go, go ahead. <laughs> oh, fuck. So he, yeah, we got, it, we got a oh, revelation wow. on, yeah. on air. In the beginning of the film, to help coach his friend, because he's like, you need to, sometimes you need directions. He goes, when I do this, and he puts his hand, it means wait. On his chest. And he puts yeah. his hand on his chest. He says, it means wait. If I do this with a finger extended, it means go ahead. And perhaps his anger, at Nimura was a way to get him to move on. He's not sure, maybe whether that worked or not. So before he hangs himself, that's he hangs himself, yeah, right? Yeah, hangs yeah, him, yeah. He wraps wire around around his whole arm, I think, His whole also, body and arms. Like, yeah, his, literally all over it's his kind like, of a Tetsuo tetsu the Iron Man, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but he to, like um, fixes hand in the in the go ahead point motion, and, and so it. he will know. I'm in my with my dying words in a way. I'm telling you, move on. Go ahead. Go your own way. And and then right before he does
0: hang himself, he looks directly at the camera, kind of like breaking the fourth wall and says, see you.
1: Yep. Yeah, very eerie. And then
0: like, so at this point, this is like the the, most of the movie really is about the relationship between these like two two men of like different generations, like the father of the guy who killed himself and was facing execution, and his friend who has now like lost his only connection to reality in this world. And the movie becomes like this very... Like I said, like the first time I saw this movie, I was like overcome by how bleak and nihilistic and like pessimistic it was. But watching it a second time, I was struck by kind of the sweetness of it. in The whole second half of the movie, which really is about these two very broken people forming a relationship and a bond with each other. Yeah. Through the propagation of these freshwater jellyfish (laughs) through the yes, through the uh, like he teaches them a sort of a trade about how to like repair junk. He helps her on the shop. But like. Uh, Arita's absence, like the jellyfish sort of becomes like the stand-in for him. It becomes like the way he sort of lives on in the world. And the father and Namira, yeah. like Namira gets this like idea to begin to like dump jellyfish food, these Sh- brine shrimp, shrimp. Like, to, like to cultivate them and then dump them into the canals shrimp all for over. My friends. Yeah. 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 Shrimp for, my... <laughs> <laughs> for all my jellyfish. <laughs> my <friends. laughs> <laughs> and, like, and the dad sort of goes along with it because it's a way to sort of like have his son live on in a certain way, but yeah. he doesn't really believe it's I'm gonna to amount to anything. But they begin seeding Tokyo with jellyfish food,
1: looking and hoping to reclaim uh Arita's like lost jellyfish. And in fact, what they find is that either through and again, it's it's magical in in its in its you know uh representation, the jellyfish is either Populated itself somehow, or you know, like, like, uh, I think they can parthenogenesis yeah. Itself. yeah. Um, and there are, and there are eventually, sw- there's a swarm of jellyfish. It becomes
0: an ecological disaster for the greater Tokyo <laughs> metropolitan area. <laughs> and so, I was thinking,
1: yeah. So, basically, I mean, it's kind of the climax of the film is that the uh oddity that's been bred through these two kids and then and then the, the dad becomes. He comes in on it as well. He's he's he gets intrigued by by seeing the jellyfish when he's at his shop and it's somehow underneath his shop and he's taken by it. When when I, I what I didn't catch the first time I saw it, or at least I didn't think about as much, when Nomura discovers the jellyfish at first, as you said, he's in like a low point in his life, he's overcome, he's like ecstatic. Yeah. He's 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 just like all of a sudden he's got boundless energy and he's laughing and he's he's finally got some kind of excitement and meaning or exhilaration in his life which has been completely lacking for all kinds of reasons even before his friend was dead Yeah, and he runs down the street it's like the soundtrack drops out and it's just silently him running down the street and uh of course then, so then he wants to make it his mission to spread that. Only problem is, these are poisonous creatures that can kill you with their venom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it does become a... a It, it is exhilarating when it happens and, and the dad catches the beaver because he says, he starts running after them. He goes, hey guys. And then the dad, after he sees the jellyfish, he um, in the beginning when we see him, he's kind of humming this song kind of sadly. And it's a song which interestingly... Talks about, coiled about snakes, animals, yeah. coiled snakes and red scorpion, red jellyfish, red scorpion. But then after he sees the jellyfish, and he gets happy, he's like bellowing it in his Yeah, he, 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 he loves it. So happy. it's invigorated both the young and the old from their meaningless routines and and kind of empty lives. But at the but the price is that there's destruction People, yeah. and danger. <laughs>
2: People are going to the hospital. Yeah. Like, there's a news report and, that we over here. And
1: it's I, I don't know if it's an exact analogy, but of course the punks are looking for meaning and exhilaration, and so they're drifting around, you know, destroying. They just destroy some property. They they like, like the rob world. like an yeah.
0: office. Murat's sister at one point like. Uh, he has a falling out with arita 's dad over the jellyfish issue yes yeah uh, when, when arita 's ghost screws up their brine shrimp their brine operation, the brine operation. <laughs> they,
2: they have a breaking badass like set <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. setup going
0: um and like, they have a falling out and like he sort of he leaves his like apprenticeship in the junk repair industry and then earlier uh mr mr arita 's like younger ward before uh namura. Mm-hmm. Um, he like he he quits the job because he's like, I don't think there's much of a future in this career
1: <laughs> in tinkering <laughs> of, with, of, with yeah, wires, of, like, <laughs> yeah.
0: of collecting garbage around Tokyo, <laughs> and then and then and fixing it. Yeah. but you know, like in in, the, in in Arita's dad's like profession is like obviously another like layer of metaphor and meaning here about like a guy who is this sort yeah. of scavenging. Yeah, he's scavenging, yeah. but he's like an older generation who's sort of like fixing all these old broken mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. and is sort of forgotten about. And, and you know, like the title of the movie where it's just like as the bright future you dreamed of as a as a kid curdles into like rage and violence in your twenties, yep. it just becomes kind of fear and resignation in yep. your fifties. Yeah. And like that's really like the really the the saddest like flavor of this movie yeah. is like the transition from like a disappointed youth into just the resignation and defeat of middle age and uh, well, being old. And two thousand three
1: yeah. in Japan, you know, was when the boom times were over. I mean, compared to the eighties, you know, and the yeah. e- economic sensation. No one's
0: bag anymore. Sony <laughs> <laughs> And we got Epi three. Um, but
1: the uh, but 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 that feeling, and of course, you know, I mean, the the questions of you know, becoming an ever more technologically transformed, b- Borgified society <laughs> yeah, yeah. with like, you know, people aren't having sex as much, you know, like the, the, the real questions that, you know, Japan is uh, been grappling with about, you know, where the country's going much like America and, and having, but this movie putting it through the prism of a specifically a lack of, of, Coagulation or communication between the the elders and the and the the young people, um, and so the punks are. You know maybe maybe they're not villains, but they're kind of viewed as like the destructive side of that, or the aimless, somewhat dangerous side of that, the stingers, the tentacles.: Yeah, well, and then well, Nomura is is obviously he does make a he does cross the divide mm-hmm. with uh, through a shared tragedy with the father. I don't know if it's saying anything too corny, but it, it is nice how they do find each other. However, at the end, unfortunately, yeah. um, <laughs> Mr. Arita, I mean maybe he wanted this, but the jellyfish are all going back out to sea. Yeah, there's, like, the really, you said, like, Brendan, like, this is not a particularly
0: beautiful movie. It is sort of, like, intentionally, like... Grimy. Grimy and kind of ugly, ugly. and, like, very, like, uh, documentary style. But, like, the two moments of, like, just absolutely sublime pure cinema in this movie that, like, elevated, like, are totally out of place with everything else in the movie is the scenes of these bioluminescent jellyfish. Yeah. Just filling these canals in Tokyo, like, hundreds of them. Yep. And there's a scene where they're, like, at the end, they're all going back out to sea. But I want to talk about the idea of, like, the, the sort of, like, sci-fi or mm-hmm. technically magical realist idea that you could, like, acclimate a jellyfish mm-hmm. to survive in mm-hmm. fresh water. Mm-hmm. To me, like, well, what do the jellyfish really represent in this movie or, the, like, the, this new mutation of freshwater jellyfish? It's in this idea of acclimation. Mm-hmm. And, like, he says, like, we have to, like, acclimate it to live in Tokyo. And I think of that that is like it's sort of like a metaphor for like because the jellyfish grows up in the movie and mm-hmm. then propagates itself, which is sort of like what the, the our two main characters in the beginning of the movie are like not doing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's this idea about like acclimating to a different or hostile environment yeah. that is this kind of metaphor for growing old mm-hmm. and yeah. like you know like transitioning from youth into adulthood. Sure, and the kind of like the the how sort of unnatural that process is, or like oh, it seems like everyone just should be able to do it but like not everyone does yeah. and like the sort of yeah. the, the depression and misery that goes along with
1: that and and apart from the because the movie's definitely talking about age and, and the you know the the difference between where people are you know in their older years and and in their kind of restless younger years but also just the failure to acclimate and yeah. or the struggle to like the punks who end the film, and the film is famous for an ending shot that goes on really long. It's the these kids who wear the Che Guevara shirts, even though they're also wearing their school uniforms as well. They haven't completely taken off the uniform that they're assigned. They're just kind of play acting as revolutionaries. They just wander down the streets. And there's no more. The, the main characters are gone. One of them is, is passed on, and one of them is you know we, we're uncertain of his fate. And we're just with these punks, and we don't know any of their names. We don't know who they are. Beside this group, and they just walk down the street aimlessly, and it's a long and they're kicking tracking boxes you know, they keep for a while. These you get the sense it's improvised? It. Yeah, yeah, that they're just fucking around. They're kind of laughing, and then they kind of stop having fun with it, and they're really just dead-eyed walking. And and then the credits start to roll, and you know, is that is that them as the jellyfish trying to just you know acclimate to the salt or fresh water? You know, or they're they're just drifting much as the jellyfish yeah. are going down that canal. You know, just kind of blobs floating What what is interesting to me is that the, there's a song that kicks in in which the lyrics are far more explicit than the actual content of the film about you know maybe what what's been said uh, in the subtext but there's a pop song that's playing and then I don't know if you noticed but a white border yes. starts to come over yeah. and then you see the film crew filming the kids you can see someone like telling the cars like hey we're filming here like don't run over these kids and you see someone behind them getting coverage Mm -hmm. and at that point i don't know what's intended here but they're actually walking with a lot more purpose and they're walking straight at the screen and they do kind of look cool and and driven and um as if they have a purpose and they have a cause, because all of a sudden the artifice around them, they look like they're actually acting in a movie and and you know being being presented in a in a in a cinematic way, and and, and it's almost like I'm not sure what's even meant meant, meant to be said there, but it's I, you leave the, fa- the 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 film reality where they're kind of pathetic, and they suddenly are they have a sheen to them of being kind of glamorous.
2: Well, I the way I read it is like it's kind of like about movies and how like kids see themselves in movies in their youth and kind of the lie and like you know the um when they're talking about um the main character yeah uh Nomura Nomura when they're talking about Nomura oh, yeah, they're the like end, yeah. that that weird that weird guy was so funny like who yeah. kept talking about his dreams and how bright they were yeah. and they think they see him out the window and they're like oh no never mind that wasn't him yeah and i kind of read it as like you know he's not even real in the same sense that they are kind of at this point. Right. He's, like, um, you know, a character, and him and this, like, dad are kind of, like, this, like, fucked-up anti-Spielberg, like, portrayal of, like, youth, that Japanese anti-Spielberg, like, you know, moment that they've been exposed to that is kind of, like, unleashing them onto the world and has kind of, like, spurred them to you know, unbutton their Mm -hmm. um, school uniforms a little bit and, like, let their rebellious side show kind of a little bit. And I think it's, like, about movies in... Or it could be read to be about movies in a very, like, oblique way where it's, like, how movies affect kids and how culture affects kids, especially, like, Western culture and the differences between Western culture and Japanese culture. And I think that also works with the saltwater and, like, freshwater metaphor and, like acclimating, because it's kind of like, you know, if you consume American culture and stuff, it's very, you know, it's not your milieu. And it's you have to learn to like translate it somehow to what's going on with you. And it's like dialogue that's happening with these characters that are both in the movie, as characters in a movie, but also like represent people out of the movie that have been impressed upon by movies. I don't know if that makes I don't, sense. No, no, no it's like, similar
0: to Incure where they're like concerned that like perhaps that these like uh, the mo of these murderers are were, were inspired, out, inspired by, by like a film or yeah. television plot.
1: It's it's deliberate that he starts to show you on the bleeding edge of that border, that white border, that they're being filmed. Something's yeah. going on.
0: Yeah. And, like, uh, we're introduced to the gang of youths when, like, uh, they sort of hassle Nomura, who's, like, you know, quit his job at the, the junk factory. The, 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 the garbage <laughs> yeah. machine. Yeah, the, the, the garbage machine. <laughs> and, like, uh, he's been given, like, an office job by his much more successful sister. Yeah. And he's just like a copy boy. Yeah. And like you see there like you know, like this like what what, what these kids are like kind of rebelling against is this like, you know, sort of like a salaryman like existence of just like, yeah, you wear a suit and you go to an office and that's your fucking life. Yeah. And like they sort of vandalize and rob the office with Nomura who lets them in and they, they, this, you know, they're out there like light up walkie-talkies yeah. and they're just like yeah. running around they're robbing the joint but they're basically just like they rob it but then they just hang out in the office yeah. until the cops come and they, and they, they just goof caught. off and they just <laughs> until they alarm arrested. goes off Lumura yeah. I mean, is the way that uh, manages to get away but the rest, the, the rest of the, the gang of the Che Guevara gang of
1: well that's the thing is that they're not I mean they're like well we gotta like, get arrested. They, if we're gonna be bad boys, if we're gonna yeah. be, you know, revolutionary vandals, then we gotta get arrested and be seen getting arrested. But, like, mm. you know, it's
0: just sort of the, the, the irony of their, like, adopting Che Guevara yeah. as the logo for their gang, of, like, yeah. like the, the, this is their, their act of revolution, which right. is just p- petty theft and vandalism. Yes.
1: Which, in a situation where you don't have any real idea of what the fuck you're supposed to be building, yeah. or what your generation stands for, or that's even that's a vague phrase, you just... You, you you do you check all the boxes, and of course the Che shirt is now you know kind of rightfully derived as a uh, baby's first rebellion you know piece yeah. of apparel that is marketed by you know profit seeking companies for you to buy and feel like a badass when you wear it. So uh, you know the, what else would they do? They're gonna break a copy machine. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, feel like feel big. So I I, I think that that's that, that that's a a perfect place to for, for the movie to end because you don't know. I mean, you could interpret them as growing even on that walk, like realizing like, uh, what we do is pretty stupid. Maybe we should think more about like what we want out of our gang, you know, <laughs> yeah. what we want Which out is, of uh, our... Kicking cardboard boxes down the <laughs> yeah. street. Live, you know, sort of or maybe, you know, they'll all be office workers too. Which they surely, almost probably, exactly yeah. will yeah. end up being. In the bright future. You but know. like to get
0: to that point, like the, the end of the movie as it relates to our two main characters is that like, they, they, they reconcile with one another and they have this like sort of beautiful moment together as they realize that they're a jellyfish plant and there's like no just nearly I just love Kiyoshi Kurosawa's like the very quiet
1: apocalypses yes that are portrayed yeah. in both of these movies are yes. just like even Pulse is pretty quiet yeah. oh yeah like yeah, it's just deserted everywhere around it's Yeah, just it's just quiet like, and at deserted at
0: points in the movie Tokyo seems
1: totally deserted yes. of people it is at that point. yeah they've all been assumed they've been raptured <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. into they've the all been, pulse <laughs> yeah they've been pulsed um but,
0: yeah, like, the, the, the quiet apocalypse and the really creative and, like, original jellyfish apocalypse in this movie, which I only realized watching this movie now a second time. At the end of the movie, uh, Numira and Arita's father, like, who is now feels proud of their jellyfish endeavor, yeah. they see all these jellyfish going back out to sea, which is, like, their natural life cycle. Right. Once again, we go back, like, growing up, yep. moving on. Yep. Like you know, or even death itself. Well, he says, "I won't be alive. I won't be alive the next time they come back to yeah. Tokyo." So he wades into one of these canals, and is just in a moment of joy, picks up one of these giant red jellyfish, yep. and before the mirror I can be like, "No, wait!" He just collapses in the yeah. water. Yeah, we see him again in his in his junk studio with the ghost of his son, but I realize watching it this time he dies. Yeah, yeah, like he dies when he picks up that jellyfish. Yeah, and the last, and then, and then. Nemura's character he like brings his body over to the bank of the water yeah. that's the last time we see of him yep we don't know he, what he disappears happens. after that and I really like I, we see Arita and his father in the junk factory and they're just going on with their daily life and uh, Arita's father says you can stay here forever yes
1: which is what he says to Nemura earlier in the film when they, yeah. he's actually hosting him but when he says yeah. you
0: can stay here forever watching this now I realize that he's saying that to himself yeah he's saying that to himself because he is a ghost and I think it also kind of implies that, like, all three of the main characters in this movie are ghosts mm-hmm. in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not really, like... People notice them. They interact with society, but they're, like, not really there. They're on a different plane. And then we get to, like, the... Fun- As you described, the final shot of the movie is this Che Guevara gang <laughs> who we've only seen, like,
1: one time in the movie. They're, they've, been, they've been let out of prison. They're just up to no good again. They're in a bar. And, and again, a really outsized American brand is in the corner of Guinness. Yeah. And it's written on a chalkboard. It's also a Guinness brand right there. And they're having they're having burgers and fries, I think, as yeah. well in the restaurant. They're
2: having American food. And the restaurant is it looks like um, in a video game you had like someone had five minutes to make a restaurant and they like just put like all these stools. They just <laughs> yeah. copy pasted the stools everywhere. Yeah. It's, the it's, not really everywhere. Yeah, it, it's like yeah. really weird. But
1: but they are but they are a bunch of young Japanese kids in a you know, incredibly, I mean, you could say it's cosmopolitan, you could say it's, you know, cultural imperialism, whatever, but they're in a restaurant with Guinness and burgers and fries saying, What the fuck are we gonna do today?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like, hey, what, remember what's that our weird life? guy who talked about his dreams? Yeah. Is that yeah. him out there? Yeah. Again, like could be a ghost. Like, right? yeah. it's like, oh, it's not him. Yeah. And then as you said, like the final shot of the movie is just this these kids, like, no dialogue. They're just walking down the street, they're all dressed identically, kicking cardboard boxes, and they're like, you know, not really like causing a disruption no they're not disrupting anything they're not disrupting anything they're just sort of like aimless teenagers don't know where they're going but they're like trying to do something trying to have some fun and then like the credits roll and like just the camera stays with them until you get to the point where it like you know breaks the fourth wall and you see that they're being filmed by the movie itself yes so here's my question like sum up the end of this movie it's them with their Che Guevara t-shirts this this is the youth these are the teenagers this is the future (laughs) This is the bright future. Mm -hmm. Is the ending of this movie supposed to be sarcastic and ironic?
1: I think so, yeah. I mean, the emotional core of the film, of course, is, as we've been saying, the relationship between Mr. Arita and Nomura, and that's gone at that point. So it does feel like like, like a bit of a cheekier ending about, you know being left with the dregs, you know, and, and, and that does seem to be the tone on which it's going out. It doesn't feel too earnest or sincere about saying anything positive about where, uh, you know, these kids, like we said, they're, they're probably going to get office jobs. They, they don't really seem to know anything or care about anything, uh, you know, as far as like changing the world goes or what's associated with youth and rebellion. So I think he's, he's probably poking fun.
2: At that yeah. Point. They do they don't have a bright future. <laughs> yeah, no. Despite what it says on the screen, they <laughs> their future is not bright.
1: I don't think mean, the whole movie is saying that, yeah, but no, I think no, no, that no. ending is definitely obscure. En- and the ending it. is definitely I mm-hmm. think ironic. I- ironic. Yeah.
0: But like, you know, watching it now multiple times, like the first time I saw this movie, I was you know, <laughs> I was like depressed for a week after I saw it. Yeah, but watching it now that this time, like I, I did pick up on like you know like some genuine sweetness and 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 feeling and emotion in this movie. So that I, I can't totally say that the ending of the movie is meant to be this like really sardonic like uh dig at like the future of Japanese society because I think there is like a you know particularly in the relationship between Mr. Arita and Namira, there's like, a lot of like niceness and heart in this movie that like. It's, as you said, Brendan, like, the ambiguous tone of all of his movies. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, really it's ambiguous. Hard to, it's very hard. I mean, the, the point is you're not supposed to be able to pin it down, but it just leaves you, in both of these movies, the effect it has on you only takes place after you see them. And you don't quite know what you've seen when you watch the movie, but, like, its ideas and its images and, like, the feelings that it, it conjures in you really not just stay with you, but they intensify long after you see the movie. Yeah, yes,
1: so there's this book I, I got a long time ago that I uh, came in handy for this discussion. It's called The Films of Kiyoshi Kurosawa, Master of Fear, by a guy named Jerry White, who writes for Asian cult cinema. And um, there's an interview at in the back of it. The essays are, are, are pretty good, but there's an interview with Kiyoshi Kurosawa in, at, at the end of the book. And um, snapping back to just his general style and some of the more you know uh, horror-adjacent or, or straight-up horror movies he does even though there are some pretty grisly bits in bright future. Um, there's one Q and a here, which, uh, I think is worth mentioning while we're talking about him. Questioner asks, the horror in your films is generated from a feeling of pervasive unease rather than a monster or killer that can be overcome, such as in American horror films. And he is uh, talking specifically about a great movie called seance that he did. I'll shout out a couple more good Kurosawas at the end, but, um, seance is one of them and that's a straight up horror movie. Um, Can you tell what techniques you use, especially in terms of camera work, to instill this sense of dread in the audience? And Kurosawa says, it's not really a question of technique. In seance, as in, say, ring, which is not by him, uh, of course, but it was around the same time, it's really a question of how to use actors. By using living people, I am also able to show things that are supernatural in nature. When I think about framing, and I, I... I see this a lot in his movies. It's a question of where to put the actors on the screen. I try to put them in a place that actors don't usually stand. It might be in a corner or in a place where light doesn't reach or is obscured by shadows. This is really my only method. It's very hard to find the right place. What's interesting about this is there really is a place where people don't stand. In an ordinary (laughs) film, you have the actors stand where they will, but in horror, when you're trying to get across this feeling of dread, you realize that there is an actual distinction between places where people would be and where they wouldn't be. Be, i would add when and you definitely be. see
0: that in the the, the Amaya uh a character in cure where he doesn't sit or no. stand anywhere in a room that you want him to yes yeah. he's always moving and around it you, and it like he says
1: i think that distinction is really fascinating it's something that if you haven't made horror films you wouldn't notice and and that's part of what we were talking about before but just the blocking and this the the shots and the and the unexpected dread he gets out of What would otherwise be clinical shots is what he's how he's arranging everything in his eye. Because ultimately, you know, the the stuff that's scary, like you and I, I'm sure all three of us like horror films a lot, but I don't get scared that often.
0: Not really. The
1: effect for me is if I'm creeped out or if I'm made uneasy, and that just comes down to something is where it shouldn't be, and that to me is 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 what a horror film can achieve, even if it is you know taking that to the extreme. With him, his uh, his eye and his magic comes from just. Fucking with the uncanny in a very uh, artful and subtle way, and that's why Bright Bright Future, even though it's not a horror film, haunts you, and and things stick around, like when the ghost of Arita is walking around that that um, that shop. It, it is a creepy scene, and it's scary. Yeah.
0: Uh, to close, out talking about Karen and Bright Future, let's talk about uh, some additional viewing for Kiyoshi Kurosawa, because as long as we're talking about things that are scary, I've got to bring up what I regard to be. The most frightening scene in any movie of all time. I think I know what you're going to say. Which is yeah. the scene in Pulse, Yes. where it's just one like long, long held shot of the ghost very slowly moving towards, like the viewer and the character unseen out of frame,
1: almost like dancing. Yeah. Like, there's like a move. There's like a of but a
2: theatrical it's just not moving it. right it's, it's yeah. not
1: moving right but it is moving
0: but like you see everything it's not it's the opposite of a jump cut scare because yep. you see everything you see the figure kind of obscured in shadow and then it very slowly like sort of moving underwater yeah like and it's like it's like sort of a blackened figure it's yep. like it's very it's otherworldly but what that scene conjures in me that's so profound is like the feeling of being in a bad dream where you can't move. Yes. Yeah. It's the feeling of kind of sleep paralysis yes. and like that fear of like you see exact you're not there's no question about like what the what the scary thing is. You're looking right at it, but the fact that there are no cuts and it's moving so slowly towards you but that you can't move away from it yeah. is that that to me that scene is the is the most frightening scene in any movie. And it's movie not ever like
1: yeah. annoying jerky Uh, Yeah, yeah, Yeah. and the original ring is good, but that was cannibalized to death with the oh, there's a girl with long hair and she's yeah, 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 like they're like they're
0: walking upside down like The Exorcist, and it's like very stop motiony or whatever. The the, the
1: movements are very fluid in this figure, and that's beautiful. It's beautiful, but I remember I was watching, I'm like, okay, this is this is well, this is pretty spooky the way it's lit. But she does this like she kind of bows at one point, like swings from side to side, and there's just something. It's not CGI. It's not some over the top thing. I'm like. That's not how a person should move. Yeah, and it really sent a shiver down my spine. And again, that that's like as as, a, as as scared or whatever as I tend to get from 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 like a horror movie. But it is deeply affecting. The whole movie is uh, it goes somewhere you really wouldn't expect by the end. It's, it yeah. almost stops being a horror film. But the parts in it that are, um, you know. Horrific. dealing in horror yeah. Like, yeah, top of the line. Uh, Seance is another great one. It's about a couple that, I won't spoil too much, but that take in a, a, an injured girl and uh, hide, hide her from the police because um, one of them is responsible for her being uh, dead or injured. There's, leaving the horror uh, charisma genre, Charisma, might be my favorite movie of his. It's got Koji Yakusho in it. And it's just a fascinating, slow, meditative movie about uh, again, a lot of interesting themes about this detective who ends up botching a hostage rescue, and kind of just—I think he's either dismissed or takes a week off, and he finds this charisma tree in the middle of a field, and he meets all these different people who want to do different stuff with the tree. A scientist wants to kill it because it's 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 uh, poisoning the rest of the forest. One guy wants to preserve it because he thinks it's beautiful and it's it's worth you know rescuing, and then a bunch of I think uh, like tree poachers want to uproot it and you know sell it or you know uh monetize it in some way and koji Yakusho is, is the detective off duty that whole week he has to figure out what he's going to do with this tree it's an excellent movie also very haunting um some of his earlier pink films are very fun the serpent's path is great uh and i guess we'll see a remake of it soon and i also just want to shout out that uh will i know you like this movie um no roy the curse which is by a different oh, fuck yes. filmmaker uh, he did a, f- which is one of the scariest movies I've that ever is, seen.
0: That is genuinely one of the most. Uh, talk about another movie that actually. Because, like, I'm, I'm with you, Brendan. Like, and hopefully, when we'll you bring Movie Mindset back for the, the Halloween uh, oh, and yeah. Spooktober run. Yeah. Um, most horror movies, by now, like, they used to scare me when I was a kid, but most actual horror movies now I watch as comedies. Yes. Like, they're yeah. funny to me rather than scary. Or just
1: how effective they, they are. It makes you kind of feel like you know just exhilarated by seeing it done well and done yeah. right Yeah, but but, but um and th- that, no, that noroi the curse genuinely frightened me koji Shareshi is the guy who did noroi the curse and he did a another movie that's also great called a cult which is you can all see on youtube uh it's a little jankier than noroi but it's also very very scary and i was watching it and thinking yeah this this is really good and uh kiyoshi kurosawa cameos in the film and at that point uh, Shirashi was not very well known. So you get the sense that Kurosawa has a, you know, uh, has his finger on the pulse, maybe, and Unloved. really enjoys <laughs> uh he he uh oh, I walked right into that. Um and, and that he he clearly has good taste in some of his fellow, you know, up-and-coming, at that point, up-and-coming uh Japanese horror guys. Uh and he's in it for like a bit. He plays like a himself. Um, as an expert witness in spooky stuff that's going on. So he <laughs> seems to have a sense of humor about himself, too. But uh, yeah, so any anything you can get your hands on. Um, and also, we should say, Cure stars Koji Yakusho. Um, he, he's great in a movie called The Eel. He's great in a movie called The Third Murder, which is a more recent film. Um, another movie where the motive of a murderer is uh, completely mysterious to the main investigator. Um, so... A dream team on Cure, uh, definitely, and maybe that's you know if friends want to know who Kurosawa is. Obviously, the first thing you say is it's not Akira Kurosawa. <laughs> yeah, no relation, <laughs> either. no relation whatsoever. We should whatsoever. have probably mentioned that
2: at the beginning. I but... wonder if
1: that has hurt, kind of hurt his American or Western, because he's really still not that well known in the West. Maybe he is nowadays, but he was under appreciated for a long time and. It could just be because because people get confused. No, but he is yeah.
0: like he is undoubtedly one of the most talented directors yes. of the modern era. Like, yes. like yeah, like an absolute genius.
1: Some of those like the guy who did The Ring, Nakata. Like he he, he kind of went off and you know he did some Ring like things and I think he did some of the American sequels to the. He Ring. He made like, some video games. Yeah, I mean it's it's not, no disrespect. And then you know the guys who did The Grudge. And, but I mean you should not lump in Kurosawa to the J horror kind of trend. Because yeah. he is still, he did something, I haven't seen it yet, like a t- episode of a TV show called Tokyo Modern Love or something, where it's like adaptations of modern love stories from the New York Times, that column Modern oh, Love. Oh, really? Yeah, but uh, he did an episode of that show that's apparently and unsurprisingly haunting and heartbreaking. So he's still, he's still absolutely cranking out amazing films and I guess sometimes episodes of TV with um, a lot of depth and, and originality. So, uh, don't, don't just think of him as another. Yeah. And J if, and if
0: you haven't seen either of these movies, they're a good like entry point to like beginning to like, you know, like investigate the rest of his, his
1: canon. Of, Cure and of Pulse works. are yeah. kind of the, the, yeah. the marquee, you know, like to tell people to watch those two first. Uh, and Pulse is one of the scariest things ever. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, before we
0: close out this episode of Movie minds, so I don't want to thank Brendan James for, uh, sharing, sharing, sharing your enthusiasm about Kurosawa. with was blast. And series. your expertise. But, you. uh, before we go out today, I just have to do briefly movie mindset department of corrections for the first and hopefully last oh. time. On oh, no. the Mickey Rourke episode, I had two factual errors I now must sh- sh- ashamedly <laughs> correct. Mickey Rourke starred in Rumblefish, not The Outsiders, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. They are both Francis Ford Coppola movies based on S.E. Hinton books, so fucking sue me, all right? <laughs> um, and then I said Barbe Schroeder was a French filmmaker. He's actually Persian-Swiss but it's merely started out making movies in France. Well, so sorry again, to do this as a
1: guest. I got one more to throw in. Okay. Uh, it's not really a correction. Uh, there is, you, you made reference to the fact that Denzel and Mickey Rourke, uh, had a horrible time with each other, even though they weren't ever on, in a scene together in man on fire. There is a scene they had together. It was simply deleted from the film. So that is where Denzel and Mickey Rourke discovered. They didn't like each other. Probably, uh, and I think you can see it on YouTube. Okay. The scene where they had to kiss.
2: Yes, <laughs> I think I it got did the, not go well. I, I guess deleted. I will just fucking
1: kill myself. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, it just
2: makes no, sense no, no, now I'm, knowing that they actually <laughs> next did up will be, Next up will be a solo app. Just
1: me. <laughs> Three strikes and you're out. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, now that my authority
1: has been permanently destroyed, this guy will does not know a lot about movies. <laughs> he thought "Man on Fire." Uh, you know, talk to someone else about it because he does not know what's going on. He's a big fat mess.
0: <laughs> All right, Movie Mindset signing off.
1: See you.